get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. You know, I think the strength of this team going into next year is still going to be our, our pitching. We have a lot of depth for our rotation. I think, uh, you know, our, our, our everyday club, it may look a little different. It just depends on, on what happens with our own internal free agents. You know, as far as the outfield goes, clearly we've got to find consistency in offensive production. And it's likely as if we sit right now giving Tommy Edmond a chance at second. That's where we begin today. The guy that's going to get the opportunity. So Colton Long is gone. We don't expect him back at this point. Didn't have the option picked up. We've been looking at this, Jamie. By the way, that was John Mozilla a couple of weeks ago talking about what the roster is going to look like for the upcoming season. We've been looking at this as, oh, it was a cost-saving measure. Clearly, they just they needed to get that $11.5 million off of the books. I still mostly believe that to be the case. But when I was reading from Mark Saxon yesterday, I thought, okay, I'll at least look at it this way. Mark Saxon wrote, Tommy Edmonds going to play second base for the Cardinals. In fact, I was told that Edmonds' presence was the overwhelming reason that the Cardinals declined Colton Wong's $12.5 million option. The rule of thumb is in baseball is you let high-priced veterans go if you have a cheap, via- viable alternative. That would be Tommy Edmonds. And then yesterday when we started talking about Edmund and I kind of looked more into the numbers, I mean, Edmund's been really good since he was starting to get his opportunity. 24 doubles, eight triples, 16 homers, and 550 career at-bats, which is basically one season. If you told me, Jamie, hey, the Cardinals have somebody on the roster that for this upcoming season projects as a 25-double, 15-homer guy, And if you told me that that's the kind of production they're getting from Tommy Edmond going into this season or that they are projecting from Tommy Edmond, suddenly I look at him a little bit differently and I look at the decision to move on from Colton Wong a little bit differently. Do you believe that this is actually the way that they are looking at it or do you kind of revert back to, yeah, well, that's all great, but this was all about cost cutting? I think the the initial thing was the cost cutting, okay? But then I think that as the Cardinals dove deep into the numbers, kind of like you have here and like Mark Saxon is addressed here as well. They found out that, whoa, wait a minute, there's more to this. And now that's you know, backup for their decision. They've got the cost cutting that they say, well, we're saving $11.5 million, uh, but we have a guy that, you know, Tommy Edmond going to get some reps in second. Now looking at the numbers, yeah, if you offered me a 25 double 15 homer guy for mm-hmm. a season, I'd say to myself, wow, we picked up a bat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and we really didn't. It's the same guy, but he just hasn't played one full season for the Cardinals yet. And he's hadn't had that uh, that regular turn at bat like some of the other guys. So, yeah, I'm all in. I I think that it started with the cost cutting, but then it ended up to where when you dive into it, you're like, man, this makes sense. See, I don't think it started with the cost cutting for me. I think this started the time that Tommy Edmond stepped into the batter's box and showed that he had power. I think his first at bat was a home run. 
Tommy Edmond showed the Cardinals immediately that he could play wherever they need him to, but more importantly, his bat was going to be influential in the lineup. I think the cost-cutting and the pandemic led the Cardinals to finally cut ties with Colton Wong, but I think the decision to move on from Colton Wong started once we saw Tommy Edmond have success at the majors. So let me ask you this then, real quick, okay? Do you think that in a non-pandemic world right now that the Cardinals would have picked up the 12-and-a-half and not moved on to Tommy Edmond? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. BK? I agree. I think they would have picked up the option. I think Tommy Edmond would be your starting third baseman next year. Yeah. Because then did. you don't have to play Carpenter. Oh, that's right. Not exactly. Fair. You have two holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, you got Technically, me. you have a lot of them. In fact, I think you have three, and I would be curious, what is the most concerning to you guys right now? Is it second base where you're going to have Tommy Edmond right now? Is it third base where I guess it's Matt Carpenter? <laughs> Is it the outfield where I think you're looking at right now Carlson, Bader, Fowler versus lefties and O'Neal, Carlson, Fowler versus righties going into this upcoming season? Or is it the fourth option where if they have a DH, I legitimately cannot tell you today who their DH would be going or into next season? Or is it behind door number five? <laughs> well, door number five Who's is behind. Who's your catcher? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So l- let me address this in, in kind of a sequence here. That's more here. than half the lineup. <laughs> Price is right sucks. Yeah. Option number four. Five, I think they're going to, if Yachty doesn't come back, that's the biggest hole to fill by far. Now, if we get out into the field, third base for me, third base is problematic because second base in my baseball expertise and all the years I've been covering the sport, second base, uh, you don't have to have a, as good of defensive guy. But on third base, that guy better be lights out because he's got a split second to make a play and get that ball to first or turn a double play or whatever. I think defensively, third base is more important. And if the Cardinals aren't going to have these big slugging players like we want them to, to want them to, then it's got to be defense. You can't have a massive hole over at third base. See, I think the second base is an important defensive position. I'm not concerned about it because I think is it more important than third base. I think so, because you're thinking the double With plays, the shift, but you're thinking double plays when you got to turn these and that's the young and shift, Alex. I don't know. Yeah, but we can put four guys at second base. <laughs> yeah, but let's Literally. be honest. Carpenter. <laughs> Carpenter has shown that he can be a substantial third baseman if you Wait, need him to oh, be. Oh, I gotta stop you there. Come he, on. You cannot use that word yeah, right he, now with that player. Not he for has this shown year. that he can play third base if you need him to. The problem I was... I could for play my, third base if they need no. me to. The problem for I Carpenter... Maybe not. First base was the nightmare for him for so long. And the it first baseman... It just looks like it hurts him so much every time he has to throw to first. Yeah, but he needs the out. He gets the outs. That's He's all like, you matter. throw to first, my shoulder pops out. Sir, well, like when, when he does the like full wind up to throw it Does over he get the first. outs, though? Does he get the outs? He gets the full most of the time. That's all you need. You need somebody to get the outs for you most of the time. At second base, you're turning double plays. I you don't are... think this team has a third baseman on the roster right now. I, I do. $18.5 million says differently. What, what I mean by that is, I, let me clarify. Take two. I don't think the Cardinals have a third baseman on the roster right now that I would feel comfortable with starting every day going into the season. But is no. it because of Tommy his bat? Tommy Edmond isn't even an everyday third baseman to me. Jamie, how many times did we talk about him kicking the ball over there he at did. third as well? I think he's much better defensively at second or in the outfield than he is at third base. 
I definitely don't feel comfortable with Matt Carpenter over there every day. Is it day. because of his bat, though, or is it truly because no, of his defense? For me, it's all of the above. Are you talking about for Edmund or for Carpenter? For Carpenter. For Carpenter, it's both. It's, see, but I think the offense yes, concerns people more than... Answer. I think offense concerns more people than defense at third base with Carpenter. So there are some projections that have come out today. Yeah, if he's slugging it left and right, I don't care so much about the errors. There are some projections that came out today on fan graphs. It's called their Zips projections. Oh, Basically, yeah, the old Zips. This is them looking at what a player has done throughout his career, what the age curve is, and what should we expect from them going into next season. That expect word, I know. We keep coming back to that. Matt Carpenter on these projections, and tell me what you guys would think of this kind of a season from him. They have him down for a 235 batting average. Not good. A 350 on base percentage, which is really good. And they have him hitting 17 homers and 25 doubles next season in 120 games. I think I would sign up for that. If you told me that I could lock that in today or press my luck and see what happens. Is on base? Is that because he gets hit by a lot of pitches? No, because he walks a lot. <laughs> it's, it's because he does he, swing the bat. He did get hit more than anybody else That's last true. year. That's he true. did. I was proud of him. 25 doubles, 15 to 20 homers, a 350 on base. I think I would sign up for that. Well, if you could, like, Where's the dotted line? Yeah, if he hits 18 home runs, that's a million dollars per home run. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Right? That contributes somewhat. That's actually really good. That's a, that's a, that's a contribution for yeah. your team. By the way, Tommy Edmonds' numbers, for what it's worth, they have him projected for 25 doubles, 12 homers. I do love this number, 17 steals next season, and a 270 batting average. That's a heck of a player. A if that's what the if that absolutely if that's what the internal numbers look like for the Cardinals, I kind of understand why they decided to go this route with him as your starting second baseman. Again, though, it comes back to who's going to be at third for you. Who's your DH? And if you do bring back Yadi, okay, well that solves that answer. A catcher. What about all of these other questions that we still have? Who's gonna Who's gonna be the guy that comes in and and helps you there? Who? Seriously, who is the DH today? And how Ravello? The Ravioli. DH as of today? As of today, who would be your DH? Probably uh, Ravioli. No, probably probably Tyler O'Neill. I'd have Carlson, Bader, and Fowler in the outfield. I look at I I'm not saying it's a great option. All I'm saying is as I look at the roster, it's an option. Six five seven eight oh zero comfort service text line. <laughs> Seems like Ravioli looks a little bit better to you guys now. Who would no, he you doesn't. want to be the Cardinals designated hitter? Like if they decide that that is going to happen in the National League next year, and we still don't even know if that's going to be the case, if they decide that the DH is going to be universal next year in both leagues, who would you want to be the Cardinals DH based on who's on the roster right now? I'm not saying you can go get Jock Peterson. I'm saying with the roster as it cur- is currently constructed, who would play that for you? I don't think there's a good option. Oh, Max Schrock to do it. Oh, yeah. Too bad on that yes. one. Oh, sorry, guys. I love yes. this. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Right away. I knew this was coming to. I threw the hook in the water and I was waiting for the first fish to grab it. O'Neill just won a gold glove. <laughs> You're going to put him at DH? Hey, he's Come not on, wrong. Man. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. He won a gold glove. You know what? Actually, maybe he hit the ball with that gold glove. Mm, it's pretty hard. On that line of thinking, one thing that you could do oh, God. is put him in right field and bat. Dexter Fowler as a DH. DH. Yeah, I guess not so. a bad option. Yeah, I mean, we got all that great defense. Plus defensively, it's not in the a outfield. good option, but it might be your best option. Hey, let's be honest. The defense of Tyler O'Neill ribs is a little bit better than the offensive upside for Tyler O'Neill. Yes, it is.
You're right. It's 11-11, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're going to talk to Justin Falk, the Blues defenseman, coming up at 12 o'clock. We've got a lot of questions for Danny Mack. He's going to join us coming up at 12.30. But coming up next, guys, the NHL is looking at any and all options to be able to get this season in. And it sounds like we could be watching hockey starting in about six weeks. What is it going to look like when we do? We'll try to discuss some of their options coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Try and convince the players across the league to go into a bubble for a regular season. How could you do that? How could you possibly do that? I, There'd have to be breaks in there, like two-week breaks where families are allowed to come in. You're allowed to go see your family. Then that means you're not talking about an 82-game regular season. You're talking about, what, 70, 60 games? I just... The, the, the bubble uh, experiment has been a terrific success for what it is and what it was needed to be. To extend it into the regular season, I think that's too much to ask of the players. Or is it? Or is it? Oh, wait! That was Darren Drager on with us about a month ago talking about whether or not the players would sign up for an entire season in a bubble. I think the answer to that question is no. Still. It will be no. For an entire season. But... Would they sign up for a quarter of a season in a bubble-like atmosphere? Would they sign up for half of the season in a quote-unquote hub-like atmosphere? That might be on the table. Gary Bettman said yesterday that the restrictions for travel in Canada could mean the NHL has to create a hub type of a model to open up the season. He said, quote, we are exploring the possibility of playing in our own buildings without fans or fans where you can, which is going to be arena by arena basis. We're all also exploring the possibility of a hub city. You'll come in, you play for 10 or 12 days, you'll have a bunch of games without traveling, you'll go back home for a week to be with your family, we'll have our testing protocols and all of the other things that you need. He also indicated that the NHL is at least exploring the idea of a hybrid scenario where some teams are in the bubble, other teams get to play at home, and you move in and out of those two scenarios. Jamie, Ferrario, I want to lean on your expertise here. What the hell's going on with the NHL? <laughs> We're six weeks away from what they hope to be the start of the season and they don't seem to have a whole lot of answers for the questions that are being asked what do you think is going to take place here well look at they're banging around ideas all over the place because the nba has thrown a wrench in everything and not because they're bad guys not because it's bad league it's just they're starting december 22nd and that starts the clock on the nhl pretty much that they have to get busy early january mid-january late that february 1st although it could happen I feel like that's really late. And so a couple of things playing into it, guys, is the escrow's capped for this year. So the owners can only take so much from the players as far as the revenue sharing between the players and the owners. So therefore, it's in their best interest to get these guys back playing. Now, the union and the league have to come to an agreement, uh, which could be a little difficult. Uh, hopefully not baseball-esque from last season. 
So are you saying that the NHL is viewing it, this as they're not going to lose money on every game that they're playing? Well, yeah, they're no, no, they're not. Interesting. And, and the one thing to remember here, it's crazy. It's, so you're saying playing more games is good for the sport, not bad for the sport. Yeah, they will not okay. experience biblical losses if they play. Um, so a couple other things here to touch on quickly is they have the TV contract with the NBC network. And the NBC network is also covering the Olympics coming up, which as of right now, they say is going to happen. Therefore, you have a small window to squeeze in your NHL season and fulfill your contractual obligations. NBC also has advertising and sponsorship that's lying dormant right now because they're not putting games on TV. And this is the final year of NBC's agreement with them, too. So So they want to get as much out of this cow as they can. Yeah, they want to bleed this thing dry. And... So anyways, the last thing that I'll say about this is the NHL is also bouncing around. Yes, this hub idea to be a little more specific, uh, they would create divisions, right? And they may not look like what we have right now. It could be a West division mm-hmm. for the teams out in California. That that whole thing could be a mid division uh, our mountain division could be, you know, all these things. And they'll have one place that will be the hub arena and hub hotels. And what will happen is you'll have a schedule built around, you know, four teams or five teams or six teams, rather, that go in and play each other a bunch of times. They get out and the next six teams follow and come in and play in that hub. And what they do is they create this bubble around that one arena. So it's not like this hundred million dollar project. They're literally essentially blocking off a hotel and a rink and players deal with it. And the hope is that that's temporary. The hope is if they have to do that that you're going to be able to at some point, maybe it's a month in, maybe it's two months in, get back into your your stadiums and normal travel and have fans in the building. A lot of this, too, at least from, from a couple people I've talked to, this is a lot of because of the local governments, too, where it comes to the state governments not allowing people from Florida to come into California, not allowing people in the U.S. to cross the border into Canada. Yeah. This whole hub city division realignment is because of Canada. They know nobody's going to be able to go to Canada unless they're going to quarantine for Damn Canadians. Yeah, way to go, Canada. I appreciate that. So they're trying to navigate through that and the way to navigate through that and then all of the state restrictions is to create these divisions of where you have the west coast and the mountain time the central and the midwest areas and then of course the east coast the hope is though that you get back to this i was really surprised and i saw it on the athletic a couple of days ago how many players said they'd be willing to do a bubble if it was half the season or less oh yeah which, look, they want to play. They want to get paid, dude. Yeah, like, yep. Let's be honest here. One, everybody loves to play. Well, oh, we do it for the love of the game. <laughs> I love hockey, too, but let's be honest here. It's a here. job. I love coming to work every day. I love doing sports radio. Well, be if careful. They, be careful. If they told me that I'm not getting paid anymore, well, Rider? I'm not going to be doing wait, this Rider? job. Wait, whoa, whoa. You get paid? Whoa. Occasionally. Whoa. Hey, the wait a minute. does seem to clear. I, but seriously. They sent like, me a bill last month we, <laughs> for airtime. That was actually... <laughs> That was the right decision by them. It's because you're the former Blues defenseman, Jamie Rivers. Former superstar Blues defenseman. Don't forget that, okay? That's in my contract. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let's be honest here. We have an awesome job. We come into work every day. Our job is to watch sporting events and then to talk about them. That's pretty damn cool. It doesn't even, like, we don't have to travel a ton. We don't have the exhaustion of playing a sport. This is a pretty awesome job. If they told me tomorrow I no longer Someone's get paid for it, Someone's I'm not going to be here. So for the athletes, <laughs> yes, they want to get paid. Go ahead, Jamie. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, hopefully they wrote all that down for you, VK. Ah, he got it. Um, anyways, now, another thing to, to touch on with these multiple hubs, we'll call them yeah. multiple bubbles, is 
in not spending a ton of money on creating those bubbles, they're easy to disassemble. So if we start getting some relaxed restrictions around the country, maybe Canada relaxes its border thing, whatever the case, it won't cost them millions of dollars to disassemble this so-called bubble that they've been using. And I think that's the key is they want to be able to have that flexibility of Yes, we're providing a safe environment for our players to come in. We're getting our games played and our TV contracts fulfilled. But, hey, if things change to the good, to the good where we're allowed to get back to our own rinks, we can disassemble these and be just fine. Let me ask you guys this because this was something Joey and I tossed around, and I loved the idea. What if you did something this season like baseball? Because, look, if you're doing a week in a hub city where you're playing all of these guys and then you're going back home for a week off, what if you did something where the, you, you were able to play in your own stadiums, but you bring in a team and you play a series against them? You play the season series against so that like team. kind of like college hockey where they come in and they play like You play two four games, games, games against Chicago in three days basically but the good thing is they're in your city or you're in their city so you don't have to worry about other people coming in and out you'd be able to do the whole season you might be able to add a couple of games in because you're not spending as much money because people Mm -hmm. are staying in the city and there's a little bit more safety to it to where people can be home after three or four days on the road because well we safety or luxury i think that's that's not it doesn't sound like safety to me because we all saw what happened with baseball i'm watching what's happening right now with college football in the nfl yeah, but right? in fairness to baseball they had a couple of speed bumps and they figured no it out at the and end they kind of figured it out you know yes um in the nfl is playing god bless them they're playing these right, games that's an interesting one to keep but track of that. But it but, seems like every day we're getting a new positive test in the league and i wonder how the NHL would deal with some of that when you have these close contacts between people and you're playing every day. The NFL can get away with it because they play once a week. What happens in the NHL when at noon on game day you have a guy test positive? Do you just go forward with the game? It will be tricky too and it's it's not because they didn't model. have these issues with the bubble. If you if you do it, what you're saying, uh, Ferrario, you're going to have some of these issues pop up suddenly. And playing that many games in a short period of time too could be difficult at the NHL mm-hmm. level. Like baseball is one thing. Never mind double headers because we know that can't happen in the NHL. But baseball, even if you win in three games and three nights or whatever, you keep doing that for hockey players. Three games or four games in four days, they're going to break down, man. Yeah. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be problems. And then if you extend it, they'll pass that. Now you're going to have like scheduling issues because you're going to be drawing that out an extra two months on the back. Well, end. And that's why the NHL said that they're looking at all options of 52, 60, 72, because they know that regardless if you're doing a bubble or not, you're going to find some type of bumps in the road. You're going to have to either add on time at the end to make sure all the seasons add themselves out, or you're going to put yourself in a bubble. To it's my a- knowledge, sorry, to my knowledge, the TV contract has to be a minimum of 55 games. Well, then they're going to get a 55 game I think, season. I think 60 is the number that Gary Bettman is, well, he's still sitting there saying 72, but I think 60 is the sweet spot, at least from a lot of the players' perspective. Yeah, 55 games, I believe, is a contract, then plus playoffs as well. So that, that obviously, as you guys know, that could play a big part. So just kind of looking at what their parameters are that they're talking about right now, July 15th seems like a drop-dead date. They cannot go past that because that's when, now you're getting into Olympic season. Mm-hmm. They're not They're not going to go beyond July 15th. That is the end of the season. Somebody will have hoisted the Stanley Cup trophy. So let's use that as an end date because the end date is almost as important as the start date for the NHL because you can back time it from there. 
if you use January 1st as the start date, then, well, you're looking at basically a five-month season because you're going to need six weeks at the back end to be able to play the postseason the same way that you just did. So you're looking at five months. Typically, you have six months in a regular season. So you have already eliminated one month in terms of actual time Which is normally from the regular about like season. 10, 12 games. Somewhat. Yeah. Depends. It varies, right? Yeah. From team to team. You could have eight games for one team because they have a bye week mm-hmm. or whatever. So, yeah, 10 to 12 games. I would so say. I think what they do is they start out with maybe it is a 60 to 70 game season somewhere in that range. And you have it to the place where, OK, if we have to cancel a few of these games, we're still going to be able to get those contracts in because that's going to be the biggest thing. And anytime you hear anybody talking about the NBA situation, they will tell you 70. 70 is the number because that's where their all of their RSNs, the regional sports networks like Fox Sports Midwest, that's where they are officially uh, good to go with them. They have contractually met everything they need to do, 70 games for the NBA. If it's 55 for the NHL, they will get to 55 for every team, at least on average, because then you get the money from these networks, and that's what the season's going to be all about. Get as much money as you can while you can. It's why we're playing college football. It's why this season will take place for the NHL. Even if there are no fans in the stands, they're going to find a way to make that work, even though this is going to be a logistical nightmare. Oh, boy. An absolute nightmare to put together. I can't imagine how difficult this is going to be for the owners, for the players, trying to work around because there will be everything involved. It's a big part. They're going to have positive cases. It's going to happen. It is going wild right now. I mean, I, I don't well, know. Heck, it happened before they all went into the bubble. Almost half the league had p- positive mm-hmm. COVID tests before they got to the bubble. And it's gotten worse. Like, j- just look around your everyday life, right? I don't know how you guys have been affected, but I know multiple people, not like that I see every day, but that are at least tangentially related to those people that are all coming down with it in recent weeks. So this thing is starting to spread in a way that I didn't see, at least personally, early during this pandemic. And so the the numbers are on the rise and you're going to see more positive cases among NHLers. And that's where I don't know what their answers are going to be. But as much as the schedule is a question right now, Jamie, they're going to have to have answers to how they deal with those positive cases as well. The NHL has their protocols. College football has its own protocols. And Mm -hmm. this weekend, basically, the SEC is not playing because of them. The NHL is going to have to have its own. And it's it's one of those things where it's a trial by fire. Major League Baseball had protocols and they didn't follow them. And then they just decided to figure it out on the fly. The NHL needs to know immediately what they're going to do if and when that happens. So that way they can actually make it through the season, not just start it with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. All right. As of today, who should be the NFL's MVP? I think it's Patrick Mahomes. We're going to ask Sam Munson, a pro football focus, who he thinks it should be when he's coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Excited to be joined by our guy, Sam Munson, pro football focused lead NFL analyst. You can follow him on Twitter as well at PFF underscore Sam. Sam, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Doing fantastic. So let's start out with the big game from the weekend, the game that I did not see coming. And that, of course, is the Saints just dominating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
What's going on with this one, Sam? Did did we learn more about the Saints in that game, or did we learn more about the Bucks in that one? I think we learned a lot about both sides. Um, and you're right; it was a kind of results out of nowhere. I think even heading into that game, <clears throat> most people thought it would be an even back and forth, a really good encounter. And if it was going to go one way it, by a landslide, I think people could see it going towards Tampa Bay, not New Orleans. But um, I think. The Bucks got outcoached on on both sides of the ball. I think their game plan on defense was just bad. They they sat back and played soft zone and just let Drew Brees pick them apart. They didn't force him to be accurate, to be efficient, and to be um, shooting the ball into tight windows against aggressive coverage. And then the other side of the ball, the Bucks just didn't have an answer for a team that was actually able to pressure Tom Brady. And that isn't something that he's had to deal with all season long, but um, you lose Ali Marpet at guard, they replace him with Joe Haig, and suddenly there's a turnstile on the offensive line. And this offense just doesn't have those intermediate routes to quicker plays that can get rid of the ball before pressure arrives. They've got a bunch of longer developing deeper routes, and then they've got checkdowns and nothing in between. And that's why you saw even you know, down four scores, Tom Brady is still dumping the ball off time after time to a running back in the flat because he just doesn't have another option. The alternative is to hold onto the ball and take a sack or a hit because they don't have that intermediate level of receiving threat. And I think that's something that they really need to work on. Sam, sticking with Tampa Bay here for a second. Listen, every time the Bucks have lost this year, Bruce Arians has gone public and basically called out Tom Brady, which, look, at the first time I was like, ah, you know what, probably good for the team to see that Tom Brady gets called out. But every time they lose, he's got something negative to say about probably the greatest quarterback of all time. How does this affect his team moving forward? Yeah, I've noticed that as well. It's definitely a curious approach to take. Um, I, I mean, I wonder if he's trying to do the same kinds of things that Bill Belichick was famous for doing for years that, you know, Brady was never the guy getting praise after a game, no matter how well things had gone, he would find something to nitpick about Tom Brady so that everybody else saw that, well, if, if Tom Brady, the goat is on, is not untouchable, then we all have to work hard. I, I don't know if, if Bruce Arians is trying that same tack or, if he just genuinely thinks that Tom Brady is a bigger part of this problem than, than other people might. But it, it is certainly a, an interesting approach to be taking after all these games. I, you know, I, Tom Brady is not flawless at this point. He's definitely declined from his best play, but he's far from the biggest problem in Tampa Bay right now. Like, There's a lot of things that were going wrong before you get to the plays that Brady was making. Yeah, I agree. Um, sticking with the quarterback position, different team. Uh, the Cardinals lost to the Dolphins this weekend, and although I was going to pick the Dolphins, I didn't do it, so I got <laughs> messed up on my pick em challenge. But I'm watching a young guy named Kyler Murray play quarterback, and I got into it with my partners here in the station, and I said, you know, I have long-term concerns for Kyler Murray, and here's why. is I feel like he's a schoolyard quarterback, whereas anytime something collapses, he checks once downfield, maybe a second time, but then it's automatic scramble mode. In four or five years, I feel like Kyler Murray may not be the quarterback we all expected because the schoolyard football sensation that he is, he may not be able to get around like that anymore. Am I crazy? I think it's certainly fair to say that he needs to move on as a passer if he's going to become the quarterback that everybody thinks he can be or even some people think he is now. I think 
the running threat that he has is a good thing overall. You know, he has raised his floor as a player so far this season because of what he can do with his legs, whether it's in the designed running game and he's become a much bigger part of that this season, or whether it's on those quarterback scrambles where he takes off and makes plays with his legs, it means that it's very hard to get a terrible Kyler Murray game and a terrible Arizona offensive game because he's going to bring so much to the table like uh, just through that rushing threat. But he hasn't really moved on yet as a passer, and that is a big, uh, big part of his development still left to go. If he's going to become a great quarterback, he does need to get better because right now he's, you know, middle of the pack as a passing quarterback. And whether it's because, you know, down the line his athleticism will wane and he'll need to lean on that more, or whether it's just, you know, if you're going to become a great quarterback, you need to be a high level passing quarterback. Either way, he needs to take that step to become the player that he should be. So, Sam, I wonder what your question or what your answer rather would be to this then, because we were talking about the young quarterbacks and how they're I mean, God, around the league right now, there are so many fun young guys to watch. And if you could have any quarterback in the league, any young quarterback in the league, not named Patrick Mahomes for the next decade, who would you choose? Who would be the guy that you would hit your wagon to among the young quarterbacks not named Patrick Mahomes for the next decade? Um. I think you have to really like what Joe Burrow has been able to do right out of the gate, um, given the situation around him in Cincinnati, a terrible offensive line. I don't think they have the best system in the world. He doesn't have a lot of help at all, and yet he's looking extremely good from day one and is even developing. Like He's getting better as the season goes when I thought there was a real risk that he would start to break down given the pressure uh, overwhelming him as the season goes on, but he's adding the deep ball. He's adding the bigger plays to his arsenal. I'd be pretty confident that Joe Burrow will be a very good player down the line. All right, Sam. Look, I'm going to stick with quarterbacks since that's a theme here, and I'm going to broaden it just a little bit, is Russell Wilson. Uh, A little bit of a bump in the road, to say the least, this past weekend. Uh, That Seahawks team, they're going to be as good as Russell Wilson can carry them, but is their defense just too much to overcome, too much to make them actually a part of the discussion moving forward? No, I think they're part of the discussion anyway. I mean, they they compounded the problems this week. They had some injuries, um, guys missing, but also just had a bad game plan. I mean, they came out after the game and essentially admitted that they were prepared to stop Buffalo's run game And it almost didn't occur to them that Buffalo might just pass all over this defense that can't stop anybody on the back end. And they didn't have any plan for that. And they actually made it worse by how much they were blitzing players like Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams and, you know, taking coverage guys out of the back end and throwing them at the the pass rush. So I, I think their defense is not good. It's definitely a problem and they still don't really have anyone that can generate pressure, but they're going to be better than they showed against the Bills and you know, do at least have the ability when everybody's healthy to cause some teams some problems, and you know, win a drive or two here and there. And that's all you need to do when you have Russell Wilson and the offense that they have. Sam, are they the best team in the NFC right now, even despite all of those defensive concerns? I don't think that there is a best team in the NFC right now. I mean, we keep looking at everyone whether we think has a chance at that crown loses the next game or, or gets embarrassed by somebody else. So. I think you can still make a case that Tampa Bay, that New Orleans, that Seattle, that even Green Bay on their day 
is the best team in the NFC, but I don't know that you can be confident about any of them anymore. Interesting. So it, kind of going down that same path, who do you think is the MVP right now? I know early in the season, it seemed like Russell Wilson had this thing locked up and there was no question about it. We are officially at the halfway point through the NFL season. Who would you have as your MVP as of today, Sam? Yeah, again, I think that's been thrown into chaos the last couple of weeks as well. I think you could make a reasonable case for three or four guys, um, Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Mahomes maybe. I mean, even a Josh Allen, I guess you could make an MVP case for. But all those guys have had their wobbles. You know, Aaron Rodgers has, a, has had a terrible game against Tampa Bay. Tom Brady just had a terrible game against New Orleans. Patrick Mahomes has had a couple of wobbles in the middle and isn't as good as his crazy box score numbers would suggest at 25 touchdowns to one interception. Uh, and obviously Josh Allen went off the boil for a couple of weeks. So I think, yeah, MVP is just as chaotic as the NFC, uh, the best team in the NFC picture. Final question that I've got for Sam Monson, pro football focused lead NFL analyst joining us here on 101 ESPN. Last year's MVP, of course, was Lamar Jackson, and he's been he's been good this year, but it hasn't been the same level, uh, the same peaks that we saw from him a year ago. Is there something that you've seen that has changed, whether it be with Lamar's game or that offense as a whole this year? What's what's changed for them offensively? A lot of different things that just are all impacting on each other. They're, you know, you lose a Hall of Fame caliber interior player like Marshall Yanda. You replace him with a not Hall of Fame caliber interior <laughs> player. And so the offensive line is just not as strong as it was. And that's getting weaker now that you lose a guy like Ronnie Stanley and left tackle. So they just don't have the platform to work from that they did this time a year ago. Um, and that's making the run game a little bit less effective. And Lamar Jackson's been injured himself. So they sort of dial back how much they're using him in the run game, which also makes it less effective. And then the, the fact that the run game isn't as scary and as dominant as it was a year ago means the teams don't have to address it the way they did. They don't have to sell out against the run and do crazy things on the back end to expose easier pass attempts for Lamar Jackson. So now he has fewer of these easy pass attempts that he had a season ago. And then he's just playing worse. You know, he was playing at a kind of unsustainably high level last season. And some of those things have come back down to earth and he's starting to make a few more mistakes than he did and starting to miss a few of those easy pass attempts. So I think the Ravens are just, there's three or four or five things that are all a little bit off where they were last season. And all those things are kind of magnifying um, each other and just making the, the sum of the problems bigger than the, uh, the individuals. He's Sam Munson. Find his work over on Pro Football Focus. You can give him a follow on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Sam, we always appreciate the time, man. I would appreciate it if on your Twitter account you spent less time talking about Patrick Mahomes' interceptions that didn't count and more time about how great Patrick Mahomes is. <laughs> Talk with you again soon, there's, my man. <laughs> there's enough people out there doing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the other way. You Thank got you it, guys. Sam. Appreciate it, man. That's Sam Munson joining us here on 101 ESPN. One thing they do over at Pro Football Focus that's pretty Pretty cool, Jamie, is they look beyond the box score numbers. They will watch each individual play of every game, and they give you a grade based on those plays. And so for Patrick Mahomes, for instance, he tweeted this out a little bit earlier today. He is behind only Carson Wentz and Ryan Fitzpatrick in dropped interceptions by defensive players this season. So he only has one interception on the year, which is amazing. It's unbelievable that he has 25 touchdowns and one pick. 
but he has had four or five of them that have been dropped by defenders. So he basically got lucky on those plays. That's not saying that he's bad, but there were certain mm. plays where he has been lucky so far this mm. season. He's only behind Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz throws it right into the defender's <laughs> arms. So like they can't drop his it. Face mask. Yeah, like they can't drop it. Think about that. I don't. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me, but uh, Carson Wentz has like five or six picks that he has actually thrown this year, and seven picks that were dropped by defenders. As bad as he has been, as bad as the numbers look, he's actually been worse whenever you take into account the ones that they didn't oh, catch. Oh, he's a great quarterback, guys. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but after talking to Sam, I'm craving Lucky Charms. He's amazing. I'm craving some beer. We got a text. 65780 is the air comfort service next slide from the 636. Guys, why does this guy drag some of his words out? Have, take, tank, far. <laughs> Guys, he's from Ireland. <laughs> the land far, far away. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. We'll des- dive into some questions and answers coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Comfort service tax line for questions and answers. All right, we got this one from the 314. Guys, I got in trouble over the weekend. I started doing my lawn mowing at 9 a.m. and my neighbor wasn't happy with me. What is the earliest that you are willing to mow your lawn? What is an acceptable time for that? Uh, you know what? Look, I'm not going to beat this guy up for 9 a.m. It's a little early. I probably wouldn't really? be thrilled about it <laughs> well, on a Saturday. It was like, stunned. what the hell are you doing at 9 a.m.? You're still sleeping. Dude, if people actually work all week long, what if I tied one on and I was up till 2 o'clock in the morning? You think I want to hear Johnny Blow's friggin' mower going at 9 a.m.? 9 a.m. Wake up and do something. Hey, listen, you be quiet for a second. This okay. is my chance to Sorry. answer. I said, although I'm, oh, I don't condone 9 a.m., I'm okay with it. But I think on a Saturday, especially a Saturday, that probably 10 a.m. is probably the key. Sunday, it's it's no holds barred because people usually got stuff to do on Sunday. Maybe you put everything on the back burner on Saturday. Uh, so, yeah, 9 a.m. on Sunday is fine. Now, on Saturday, though, maybe push it to 10 a.m. What the f***? What about it at night? Because I think that's about right. I Listen, if you got a headlight on your mower, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Mow that sucker at 10 p.m. I don't care. I'd be more pissed at somebody mowing at 10 p.m. than I would at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. I'm just getting warmed up at 10 p.m. So is it 9A to 9P? Is that kind of what we're looking at here? I would be okay with that. Yeah, probably. Hey, look, in the summertime on a Saturday at 9 a.m. when it's going to be 100-something degrees outside, I'm cutting it at, like, That's 9 fair. o'clock in the morning because I'm trying to beat the heat. All right, I'll give you that. What about for texts? Like, if you're texting somebody at night, what is the <laughs> latest no that you're There's still no limits. There's no limits. Depends. What's the text say? You up, okay. question mark? No. Well, <laughs> why do you send me Buddy. that one all the time? Well, it's just you. I send it to you, really. Yeah. Um, okay, so that question of texts, I think anytime after 10 p.m. in general is probably, like, you should shouldn't but when you have like your buddies or like we sure. have our group text for what we do here for work and sometimes it takes our conversations to midnight after games and stuff and sometimes we're a little bit buzzed yeah, and we just keep going talk yeah, to you guys we about those can, yeah. we, can we stop Everyone's sending those if like midnight I'm oh, yeah. sleeping by then you don't look <laughs> at me really look at no. birthday boy there the other night so yeah. anyway, 2 a.m. what that was 1 30 and I do oh, not sorry. regret anything the best thing about this is you do not remember you don't know if it was 1 30 or 2 30 I was just trying to get some sleep because Pretty of all the pain meds I was on and all I'm getting is just beep 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 BK just texting us nonstop. <laughs> Jeez. I was telling you about my delicious uh 
smoked Manhattan. It was there you great. Go. It was so, a really good one. Regular basis, I'd say 10 p.m. Uh, with this close group of friends and that you already know that you're a bunch of donkeys and just let it fly. Yeah, I got no holds bar on that. Yeah. Just text me whenever. I have no issue with anybody texting me at any point in time. I'm probably awake unless it's in the morning, in which case I'm the hardest sleeper in the world. I'm not waking up anyways, as you guys learned whenever I didn't show up to work until 11 a.m. one day. So I'm not going to be the one that complains about it. I've always had like for whenever I'm reaching out to a guest or whatever, if it's 10 o'clock their time. So if it's nine o'clock here, 10 o'clock there on the East Coast, that's uh, anything after that. I'll just text in the morning. I I can't go any beyond. Can I just say that I'm concerned about that the most of being a parent that I'm a very heavy sleeper. Like I've slept through fire, like smoke alarms going off in my house before. I'm a little concerned that I'm not going to wake up with that baby. Yeah, it'll change. You'll see your radar fluctuation. It'll get a lot more sensitive to where when you hear that baby cry just a little bit, you're going to jump up. I want to solve that problem because the quicker you solve it, the quicker you get back to bed. Someone also told me that you won't have to hear it. Your wife will hit you and you'll feel it. So you'll wake up from that. (laughs) Jamie, you have some people that are not happy with you. What what did I do now? What did I do? From the 618. (laughs) You're a high maintenance baby, Jamie Rib. If you're older than 29, it is your fault that you can't go to bed at a decent time. 9 a.m. is a perfect time to start mowing. Thank you. Get up. You're a grown-ass man. Thank you. I listen. Thank you. I didn't say that I actually cared. I just said I'd prefer it to be around 10 a.m. Little baby. Forget you. Wear some earplugs next time. Yeah, maybe you're drinking near beer. I'm not, okay? (laughs) 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll be joined by Justin Fall coming up here in just about five minutes or so. The Blues superstar defenseman is going to join us. Coming uh, from the 314, though, before we get to that. Guys, if after this year the Cardinals make a play for one of the big-name free agents, who would you want to see them sign going into 2022? So that's the class that has Chris Bryant and uh, Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa. Uh, Which guy of those players would you most want them to go after? I think most realistic is... uh Seager, Corey Seager. I think he's most realistic. Like I think Francisco Lindor, as much as they expected or whatever they did to that they're going to make the same money, uh, I think someone's going to trade for Lindor and re-up on making it more difficult. Um, for me, Corey Seager. I was going to say, I'm sorry, did he say realistic or what yeah, you well, would want to see? Fantasy the, land, the number one option for you, if you had a wish list, would be who? <laughs> Francisco <laughs> Lindor. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious here. Corey Seager would be great, but I think Francisco Lindor puts more butts in the seats just his personality how he plays the game who he is i think he brings more people to the stadium so i would love to see francisco lindor i would go lindor one correa two seager three now you like cheaters me. i don't know why I'm, I'm all in on people that are really good at baseball oh whatever it takes, to win, whatever it takes huh Ooh, hey did you guys like watching trade. big mac what did you guys like he watching Mark McGuire? That, that wasn't illegal. illegal at the time. Okay. At the time. With Jamie Rivers and Alex no, Ferraro. I got one Brandon more thing Kiley. I want to address here. Okay. From the 314. You more of a baby ribs? Ask Jamie what time the lawn care company comes by his house. That's when it gets cut. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> or ma'am. I cut my own grass because I don't trust anybody else to do it damn well right. That is what she said. Justin Falk is going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Excited to go out to the Brown and Group and Celebrity Line to be to be joined by Blues defenseman Justin Falk here on 101 ESPN. Justin, we really appreciate the time, man. How are you doing right now? 
Good, how are you doing? Uh, we're doing fantastic. So I wanted to start with just kind of open-ended. What has the last guess, two, three months been like for you as you go through kind of the uncertainty of when the season's going to start and what your off-season's been like so far? What have you been up to? That's pretty good. I get to hunt. I haven't been able to do that, so probably won't get to do that for a while either. So I'm uh, doing all right, I guess. <laughs> uh, I mean, pretty much a normal off-season. It's just... I mean, I guess it's not just because you don't know exactly when things are going to start, but uh, you can still pretty much treat it the same as normal. And I just get a little bit more hunting time, I guess. Justin, where are you hunting at, and what are what are you hunting? Uh, I'm in Minnesota. Um, I've been uh, pretty much – I did a little pheasant hunt and duck hunting and then uh, deer hunting. Have you had any big, big hits this year? Uh did well we did a car load of tv in my truck so oh, we can hardly tell <laughs> uh, <laughs> i uh, got tasked with bringing a tv up to hunting camp this weekend so um i uh no nothing crazy for deer we had a good pheasant hunt and then um but there's still plenty of time for that which is nice and uh hopefully it goes well this weekend yeah, actually, let's. I wanted to dive into next season just a little bit here. Uh, look, there's obviously last year was an adjustment year for you. You spent the, the the majority of your career, actually all of your career, in Carolina with the Hurricanes. You had a very defined role uh, with that team. And look, everybody knows it's tough to go into a new team sometimes and find your spot. But now moving forward with this upcoming season, you're definitely going to hold a bigger role here. Colton Pareko and yourself on the right side. Uh, the team has added Tori Krug. Just for you, for your game, uh, how do you get to being back to comfortable and, and feeling really good about yourself? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I just got to play well. I mean, I didn't play that well, so it's not anything like I'm not really – viewing it as that I need to do anything super crazy or whatnot and, and change everything up as that I've done in the past. So I just need to essentially play better. And that's uh, where I'm at with that, I, I guess. And uh, like you said, it's probably going to be a little bit uh, a little bit easier just in a sense of uh, how the pairs might match up and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just taking it as I just need to play a little better. Yeah, let's dive into that just for a second because – like when I played, it was tough. Like I was bouncing around. I wasn't to your caliber, right? I was like a five, six, maybe, maybe seven defenseman on the depth chart. So I played with everybody. I played right side, left side, and it was hard to always find a comfortable spot for yourself. Last year, you had to adjust to well, one, multiple partners, and two, sometimes playing either left or right side. How much of a difference will that make for you just to settle in and play your strong side, and, and hopefully not have a carousel of partners? Um, yeah, I think it's good. I think it helps a lot of a lot of people. I don't necessarily. I've always been one to kind of think, let guys uh, figure it out and and spend some time together and uh, and and kind of create some chemistry as a pair. So obviously, it's a little bit different. And, and I hadn't probably played left side since college. So, um, but at the same time, I think uh, I was starting to get more comfortable at the end of the year there. Uh, well, which was quite a long time ago now uh february and march and and then into the into the playoffs a bit with with kind of flipping back and forth and it is something i hadn't really done before so it took me uh obviously a little bit of time to get used to it and more comfortable with it but 
um, it'll probably probably help. And it's, I don't think anyone's going to deny that it's a little bit easier just uh, sticking with one side or, or having that clarity of knowing probably where you're going to line up every night. Now, Tory Krug, uh, you know, a, a, an addition to the Blues blue line this offseason. Uh, I know you guys have a little bit of history. I think you guys played together at the World Championships. And if I'm not wrong, I think maybe even you guys played as partners for a little bit. Is is that something that you would, you know, welcome with open arms and, and something that you'd be comfortable with, having Tory Krug play the left side? Yeah, I don't think anyone's complaining about uh, that signing. Um He's a good pickup, obviously. We uh, he's pretty well, obviously very well established, and everyone knows what he can do. And he's he's a pretty good player back there. So um, yeah, I mean, if I don't I obviously don't know what the what's going to shake out and how it's going to go, but I don't. I think everyone's going to be comfortable playing with him. And um, like you said, we we did it before in a in a rather short stint, and obviously a different situation. But we did play together a little bit at World Championships there, and. Um, I don't know. I think our team did pretty well that one. I'm not, I did a few of them, so I'm, I know which one it was. I just kind of drawn a blank, and I think we might have taken third or got a bronze medal there. But um, I think we were fine together there and, and played well. So um, I don't know how it's going to shake out, like I said, but I don't think anyone's uh, upset about having to play with Krug. It's obviously probably the opposite. So. We're talking to Justin Falk, Blues defenseman here on 101 ESPN. And now, Justin, you said in your own words you didn't play that well last year. I'm curious, for for Blues fans, I mean, a lot of them are still very excited to see what you look like in this team next year, to see what this team as a whole looks like next year. When you're at the top of your game, what should Blues fans look for that will be different than what we saw a year ago? What, What do you feel that is different whenever you are playing to the peak, which we've seen from you so many times in your career for sure? Uh, probably just more aggressive um, all over the ice it's in the D zone offensively and kind of just the whole deal I think sorry I'm backing up so you probably hear that thing <laughs> deep in the just don't run over anybody but <laughs> now, now I'm off to Home Depot so you guys are getting the full tour today um, uh, yeah I mean I think it's just being more aggressive it's Jumping up in the rush, making plays, um, more physical. Zone, I like to play physical, and uh, people probably think I don't. I'm not the tallest guy in the world, but I'm also not the lightest guy. So, um, yeah, just I mean, that's just a combo. It's just kind of that that style of play, and it, it transforms all over in all, all aspects of the game. So when I'm like that and kind of have that little bit of an edge to me, a little bit more snarl, um, is when I'm at my best and uh, probably should be seeing a lot more of that hopefully this this coming season. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, Justin, people might think that, but I think differently. I've said that multiple times. That you've got you've got that edge to your game, that you're not afraid to step up. It's not going to be every single shift because that just wears guys out. But once a game, you have that ability to rock a guy and have him staring at the ceiling. And we talked to Craig Berube yesterday about it, and I just mentioned to him, I said, I'd love to see, you know, Justin Falk continue to add that to the to the game, certainly with a couple of big hits per game. But also the one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is 
the ability that you have to join the rush, right? Like that's always been a strong suit for you throughout your career. And the blues and the style that you guys play, it really encourages defensemen to join the offense, to be a part of the rush. Heck, to get into the offensive zone and end up behind the net, it doesn't matter because, you know, usually there's somebody covering for you. How, how does that play in for you? How much do you enjoy that part of it? Yeah, it's good. I think uh, obviously it's our job to, to pick our spots. And I guess I don't necessarily, I don't think I've ever really been one to kind of do it every single every single shift and, and just completely abandon everything else um but with the team that you know it's we're a smart team an older team it allows it and you probably can a little bit more and i need to probably capitalize on that and take advantage of that and a little bit more and it, it's good and it's a good thing we have you know pretty much every night in the lineup six six feet that can skate and and move the puck and do all that well so it, it makes it uh, a lot more easier as a team to to be ready for that and expected when well uh guys are coming probably whether you like it or not sometimes back there so it's good we're talking with Justin Falk, Blues defenseman here on 101 ESPN. Now, Justin, we talked earlier today about what the season is going to look like and when it's going to start, when it does start, where are the games going to be played? Will there be fans in the stands? All of these different questions that are being asked right now. For you trying to prepare for this upcoming season, what kind of challenges does this present that you don't know when it is going to start? You don't know if there's going to be some sort of a bubble scenario where they've got hub cities or it, they've talked to about maybe going and playing somewhere and then going home for a week like what what is something like this what are some of the challenges that it presents for a player like you getting ready for the season um i don't know obviously there's some some concern just without knowing how long training camp's going to be when exactly it's going to be i'm sure it changes the training styles a little bit for guys just with that with that unknown but at the same time i mean i guess we're a younger league but we we just all went through it over the summer so it's not like this is really too much different in regards to training and actually it's probably easier because guys have more access today than they did in you know april may when everything was shut down so um i think guys will be fine with it and actually some people probably think it hurts older guys but we've been through it in the 2012-13 lockout where we really had no clue when this was all gonna when that was all gonna shake down or shake itself out and, and clear up. And, you know, we were I think we were given a week to show up to training camp for 10-day training camp and then start the season with no exhibition games. So uh, there's plenty of guys that have been through something something similar in, in a sense of not of the unknown of schedules and all that. And so I think guys will handle it just fine. And like I said, most of us just went through it, or 99% of us just went through it. All right, Justin, one last one here. Oh, sorry, but one last one here for me, and uh, it comes from our text line. A lot of people cluing in. I have no idea if you've answered this before or not, but people want to know, are you going to keep the number 72 or are you going to slide over and try to get back to number 27? Not a question from me, question from the text line. (laughs) Uh, I'll stick with 72. I'll let uh, Petro's number rest there. Um, I don't blame you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be changing. If, if anything, I'll maybe go after Max number and take 28 and get some false jerseys in the stands. I think people would like that. But uh, there you go. You got seniority on them too. Just muscle them. <laughs> no, I would never do that. So not that. Not my style. So, uh, yep, 72 it is. 
Well, Justin, we appreciate the time today, man. Good luck with your Home Depot run. We appreciate the time. We look forward to uh, talking with you soon and watching you hopefully soon this year. All right, fellas. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. Absolutely. That is Justin Falk, Blues defenseman here on 101 ESPN. A very, very busy man. Multitasker. I like it. It is the off season, and that means he's got to pick up TVs. It means he's got to go to Home Depot. This is a very, very busy man who does a lot of hunting in his yes. free time. He had the backup cam, too, and had a little beep, beep, beep. I like that. Safety Happy feature. to hear that he is being very safe yep. while on with us. Big thanks to Justin Falk for giving us a little bit of time today uh, here on the show. I will say this. I do like that he was willing to be open and honest about the fact that like, he was the one that brought it up. We didn't really even ask him about it necessarily. He straight up said... Hey, listen, I know I didn't play well last year. Yeah, like, I know it. It, it. It's he is very self-aware of what ha- happened last year, what went right, what went wrong. And it sounds like he knows like, hey, I'm going to be more comfortable and I'm going to play better. When you ask him, like, what does that mean? It means I got to be more aggressive. It means I got to play my game. I got to get back to being myself again. So I, I do respect when a player is willing to be open and honest about his struggles and appears to have a plan for attack on how he gets better. Now, will he be better? I don't know. It remains to be seen, and that's going to be one of the single biggest questions for this team going into the upcoming season is if he can. But if he can, it'll totally change the narrative that surrounds him right now. Well, hopefully he can because the Blues are going to need that for sure, and I think they're counting on it, and certainly the uh, six-year extension would tell me that they're counting on it as well. But, yeah, being self-aware sometimes like that, and I can tell you from the player standpoint, you know you're not doing well, and that sometimes adds more pressure. Like if you really are a self-aware player and you know that things aren't going the way you'd like them to go, you know that, and you're putting more pressure on yourself. You're gripping the stick tighter. All of a sudden, you're not seeing the ice as well. The tunnel that looked so big before, now it's down to a little dot where you're trying to find players on the ice. It, it is a different feeling. So uh, good for him to identify that. And uh, I would be all in favor of a number 28, Falk jerseys out there heck you wear your old rams jersey to the game i like it you could <laughs> you could but no you could you could pull no. it off no that's a terrible football idea. night that's about as bad of an idea as is telling people not to cut grass at 9 no. a.m on the saturday you know what the worst idea is what that we let you turn your mic on that's- he's jamie rivers that's alex <laughs> ferrario i'm brandon kiley it's ribs and bk on 101 espn let's play a quarterback matchmaker game there's going to be a lot of teams that are looking at first round quarterbacks this year where would you like to see their former quarterbacks end up including Dak Prescott we'll answer that coming up next on 101 ESPN we're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN ESPN. All right. So ESPN ranks their teams most likely to draft a first round quarterback next year. It was basically everybody who either has a really bad young quarterback or has a really old, good quarterback. No breaking news there, right? I wanted to take this a step further, though, Jamie. Of these teams that currently have these guys employed, so I'm talking like Sam Darnold, Daniel Jones, Jimmy G, Dak Prescott. If these teams decide to move on, where would you like to see their quarterbacks go? Okay. So let's go through a few of these. Okay. 
if the New York Jets decide to, and they should, move on from Sam Darnold at the end of the season. Jamie, this is a former top five pick. He was a big time prospect coming out of USC. Where would you like to see him end up in his next team? Uh, can I say the living room? Well, that's at home. not a team. The uh, the the <laughs> NFL Network front desk. College game day. That doesn't count at all. Okay. Um, that's mean too. I shouldn't say <laughs> yeah, that. What the hell? <laughs> but is it wrong? Anyways, um, what would I like to see Sam Darnold? Not on any of the teams I like. That's for sure. Um. <laughs> Wow, this took a turn. What an ass. Well, really? What's hey, your Fer- first thought? Ferrario, where would you like to <laughs> see Daniel? Lord. Uh, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. No, thank you. I'd actually put him in the Giants. <laughs> Why? I'd go from a bad team to another bad team. Yeah. So he doesn't what? have to move? Yeah. What is going on? He, he can, can just change You see what he rooms? does there. You see what he does. That's horrible. Flip, what's happening? Flip Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones. And what, and that's insanity. Where you no, have the same thing insanity. and you just keep repeating the same mistake. <laughs> okay, since you guys aren't giving a real answer. Um, <laughs> we are, actually. That was actually my real answer. I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think Big Ben has a year or two left in him. And that was a real answer? Yes. I mean, it's because I would, answer. I would like to see him go behind a quarterback. <laughs> I think he's going to get better coaching there. It doesn't get a whole hell of a lot worse than what you have currently with the Jets. I still have a little bit of belief of, in Sam Darnold. He was a guy that needed seasoning coming into the NFL. He got terrible coaching. He's been in like 17 different systems so far. I'd like to see him go to Pittsburgh, ah, sit soft. behind for a year. <laughs> Aren't you the one that said Dylan Carlson shouldn't come up because he's going to get... I did. I was right. Traumatized. And he did at first. So did Sam Darnold. (laughs) He's he's had Adam Gase trauma for his first three years. So haunt your dreams. Go to Pittsburgh, sit behind Big Ben for a couple of years. When Ben retires, you can take over as the heir apparent. He's still a blue chip talent. It hasn't worked for him at all in New York, but I would like to see him get his opportunity with a good quality franchise that has a little bit of stability, and he's going to have receivers that he can actually throw to in Pittsburgh as opposed to the guy that he currently has in New York. He's got Jamison Crowder and then a bunch of nobodies right now. So I'd like to see him go out there. All right, let's see if I get the same answer. Receivers in the Giants organization, if we'll go there. He's got Frank Gore. Okay. So we're going to the next one. (laughs) Daniel Jones. Where would you guys like to see him end up after the season? It just keeps getting better. Oh, my Lord. Where did Daniel? Danny Dimes, where are we going with you? Um, Wow. I'll put him in. New Orleans behind every one of their quarterbacks. He'll go behind Breeze, Winston, and Taysom Hill. Maybe he'll get some playing time. I couldn't give my answer to the question. In all sincerity, where is he going to fit in? He's going to... Indy! Let's see him in Indy! You know what? I almost said that, too. I I almost said I did. I almost said Indy and Tennessee. What is Indy going to do? They're stuck in purgatory right now. They've got a really good defense, a great head coach. Their offense is too good for them to be bad. They're not going to be able to get up high enough in the drafts to actually take one of these elite-level talents. I don't think Daniel Jones is a great player. I would love to see him in a great system, though. What's his name? The head coach here is pretty good, Frank too. Frank Reich. Yeah. I, I love Frank Reich. He's a Florida quarterback. He is? Yeah. 
really good quarterback. Dropping knowledge on you, Alex. <laughs> I would like to see Daniel Jones in a really good situation, and I believe that Indy is a really good situation. I will second that. I'm with you on that one. The well, next one, I think I'm going to get a real answer from you guys. Oh, boy. How about Jimmy G? Where would you like to see Jimmy G end up if the 49ers decide to move on at the end of the season? New England, baby. No. Send him back to the no. Patriots. No, yep. thank you. That's what I'm doing. No, not even the dog is taking him back in New England. Um, who the dog is? The dog. Bill Belichick's assistant GM. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but you, wait a minute, it's his poodle, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, it's not a poodle. I think it's a mix. It's a shelter right. dog, I believe. Um, Jamie? So I, I would like to see Jimmy G. Um, oh, my God. I think that's the only answer. I think he no, has to be back no, in New I have other I have other people going there. Okay. I'm not. Jimmy G's not going there. Oh, I know exactly who you're putting there. Uh, he ain't going yeah, there. baby. Uh, let's send Jimmy G to Denver. You know okay, what? You got Drew Locke. Actually, yeah, okay. but that's exactly why I'm sending Jimmy G there. I'm still on the fence with Drew Locke. You're and- pulling to Chicago. Yes. Where Chicago this year went into the season. They didn't really believe in Trubisky, but they felt like they had to give him one last shot. The Broncos could do the same thing next year with Drew Locke, where they don't really believe in him, but they got to give him another opportunity to be able to yeah. work things out. And then if and when that doesn't work for them, okay, you've got a veteran to turn to who can at least right the ship with Jimmy Garoppolo. I like that. I could see that. All right. Woo. I'm going with New England, though. I'm with Ferrario on this one. I, Bill wanted him. He wanted him to take over as the starter, and the yeah, ownership came in. he was kind of young and good. I still think he's fine. Ah. He's better than what the Patriots have right now. Is he, though? If you put him in the Patriots right now in their offense, are they any better? That's a fair point. I think the answer is probably no. But if they are able to add a little bit of talent in there, maybe at the, after the season they get a little better. All right, next one up. This is, to me, the, the crown jewel of the potential offseason. Dak Prescott. If the Cowboys end up getting a top three pick, I think they're going to have a really hard time. I don't care what Jerry Jones says publicly. I think they're going to have a really hard time not taking Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. So if they decide to move on from Dak Prescott, where would you like to see him play at the after this season? Patriots, baby. That's my guy. That's my guy. Right now, if I was Bill Belichick, I'd go all in and get him. He's by far a way better version of Cam Newton. And I think at that point, you have a franchise quarterback again. And now you can start rebuilding your team. I got two teams, either Chicago or Philly. I think both of those. Chicago, that's a... That's a so much for the last guy on the list. <laughs> it's a, it's a gritty. What? What happened? Now um, that just keep going. You're hot. Is Carson Wentz on this no, list? No, you're doing yeah, well right now. Sorry, I didn't look ahead on this one. <laughs> no, that, that's why he's on the list. That's why he could move back on. I just think both both teams play a gritty, heavy style, and with Dak Prescott, if he's 100 percent healthy, adds the running threat, which both teams really don't have right now. But he's got the arm that matches what Carson Wentz has when he is healthy, or what they thought Mitch Trubisky could have been. How about Kyle Shanahan with Dak Prescott as his quarterback? The 49ers suddenly go back to being a legitimate Super Bowl contender if they were able to make something like this happen. Somewhere in the NFC. Get a good pick for him. Yeah. I bet you they franchise him next year. Who's going to have a. uh, Yeah, I guess so. You're right. Okay. If you're the 49ers and you're looking to potentially move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, and they can after the season, if you could get maybe a third round pick for Jimmy trade your first round pick for Dak Prescott I would do that I mean if you're telling me my options are pick in the middle of the round because they're probably going to go seven and nine six and ten something like that not good enough to be a legitimate top five pick you're probably not going to get a great quarterback with that pick if you want to upgrade this
the one place that you can really do it is at quarterback. So if I could bring in Dak Prescott to his system, man, imagine that NFC West next year with Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Dak Prescott. Suddenly the Rams, who have 17th, 18th best, best quarterback in the league with Jared Goff, they have the worst quarterback in their own division suddenly. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. All right, next one up, Matt Stafford. If the Lions decided to blow it all up, which seems very much in play after the season, where would you like to see Matt Stafford play next year? See, Jamie? I had Matt Stafford going to the 49ers. Okay. I had I had him sliding over there. I think with all the pieces they have in place there, he's, uh, in my opinion, I think Matt Stafford's a really good quarterback, and I think that he would thrive with what they have set up out there. Yeah, I put the 49ers there too because they got weapons. And look, Stafford, when he has a healthy Kenny Galladay and a Marvin Jones and some type of running back he's a, he's an actual threat on the field to do something look at what week one was so i put him in san francisco with a with a healthy george kittle and a right wide receivers core that is back for a full season i think he could be successful so i like that one how about washington how about washington for him they, they don't have I a quarterback they don't have anything I, to throw yeah, to though i worry terry mclaurin is amazing if i'm doing that mm-hmm. i'm going dak prescott to washington because he's still younger and he's got some upside i think matt stafford's at the point where you don't want to put him in that rebuild again i put just, a darnold or a like, jones he's in going washington. from the lions to the washington yeah. football give, club give they could of, win that division like, next year though pick guys your poison the red pill or the blue pill <laughs> I'm see- the Washington Literally. football team could legitimately win the NFC East next year yeah, if the they added division. Matt Stafford. Now, that's not saying a whole lot about the division, but they could go 9-7 and seven in that division next year, and that very well could win it. Yeah, I'd put one of the younger. I'd put a Darnold or a Jones in Washington and let Rivera try and mold a young guy into what yeah, he actually, wants. Darnold, I like that one. I like Darnold Darnold looks a little bit, I mean, I just, not exactly like, but a little bit body type like what Cam Newton was in Carolina. I just think that they have they need stability. And I think Matt Stafford could provide some of that stability for that franchise after having none for the last decade, basically. Last one here. Speaking of instability, Carson Wentz, my yeah. boy, yeah. my boy. We've gone through so much I've together. Got a good one for this guy, too. There was once upon a time when I really believed the he hospital. was going to be a superstar in the NFL. Where would you guys like the to XFL. see Carson Wentz end up if the if the Eagles decided to <laughs> move on? <laughs> no, I wouldn't even wish that upon us. Uh, anyways, um, here's a one that's a little bit off the board here, but the Raiders. Okay, and here's why. If you that go, actually makes a lot of sense. If you go back to before he was drafted, he went to John Gruden's quarterback school. And he was phenomenal with his breakdown of plays, his recognition of things. And John Gruden seemed to really get him. And I think that, and John Gruden was really high on Carson Wentz going into that draft. So if I put those two together and make this little marriage, well, now you have a quarterback that's established. He's, he's not doing well right now, but I think John Gruden could really, really help him. And there you'll be a turnaround in this guy's career. Simple for me. I think I'd put him in Atlanta, put him behind Matt Ryan. For a year, let him get healthy, then tell Matt Ryan to hit the bricks, and then let Carson Wentz be the guy. I'm going Chicago. I, I think Chicago oh is going to end up with somebody. There's going to be a quarterback carousel this offseason. I don't think they're going to be bad enough, similar to what I said about the 49ers. I don't think they're going to be bad enough to take their pick in the top five among the quarterbacks. I think they end up with something like this, whether it be him or Stafford, one of these kind of middle of the road quarterbacks. I think that's probably the the market that the Bears are going to be playing in. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's talk to Danny Mack about what the options could be for the Cardinals if the National League does indeed adopt the universal DH. Who the hell is going to play it for the Cardinals? Well, that's Danny Mack next on 101 ESPN. We're back.
back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Thrilled to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Our guy Danny Mack is on the line. Cardinals broadcaster and host of Scoops with Danny Mack. Weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing? Danny Mack, is he on the line? He will be back with us momentarily. One thing that I really want to ask him about, up on you. Jamie, is what we talked about yesterday. We opened the show with, hey, who's the next Cardinals player that is likely to get that extension to buy out their arbitration years, right? And I brought up, man, I would not be surprised if that guy is Harrison Bader. And I know that sounds crazy to a lot of Cardinals fans, and I understand that. But the Cardinals do this to get ahead of the market, to buy somebody <laughs> out, and they end up getting them on cheaper deals than they otherwise would. So let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Danny Mack back with us. Dan, let's bring you in on this conversation. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. Which Cardinals player, in your opinion, is most likely to get that extension that the Cardinals typically give out around spring training where they buy out somebody's arbitration years and get a couple of cost control years on the back end? Who do you think is most likely to get that? Well, I think in a CBA year, um, it's going to be tough for them to figure out exactly where they want to go because of money. Now, in a typical year, I think they would approach Jack Flaherty. I think that would be number one, at least approach him and see what the numbers may look like. Jack has been one that has been pretty vocal about the arbitration process and the frustration of what players get in years one through six. At least you approach him, see what that might be. I'll throw a wild card out at you. What about Dylan Carlson? How about Dylan Carlson? Even though he's not arbitration eligible, but maybe you – Look at him as being one of these players that they say, you know what? We know he's not arbitration eligible. We know we have a very, very short resume on him at the major league level, but we believe this guy is going to be can't miss. We've seen enough that he's going to progress and get better and better and better. And it's one of those things we've seen in baseball, even with it's rare, but there are some of those really young players Ronald, Ronald that, Acuna immediately comes to mind. He signed it like yeah. right away. I think he got an eight-year, like $100 million deal from the Braves because they, they knew he was going to be special. And then, I mean, that that's looking like a tremendous deal for them now. In his age 37 season, or 30-year-old season, rather, he's going to make $17 million, which is nothing compared to a, what a player like him should be making at that point. The Phillies did that with a player. You know, you mentioned Acuna. There's been others now. I think all this, though, guys, is dictated on a CBA because you just don't know, um, and we're hearing it's Armageddon in 2022, you you just don't know what the financial aspect of the sport is going to look like coming out of COVID, and you don't know what the players are going to get. You don't know what owners are going to get in 2022. So that's why this makes this really complicated to do to say, hey, let's just go out and sign this guy, and this is where the market's going to be. We don't know what the market is going to look like. But that, I'm just thinking outside the box because that's what we kind of do. But that would be one of the guys that, that would, you know, would it shock me? No. I, I think that there's a lot of different things on the table to try to take care of yourself financially and be responsible. And that would be one of them potentially. Danny, we were talking, what, two days ago, I think, BK and I and Alex, and we were trying to establish 
the Cardinals' rotation. And the more we went through it, especially with the injury to uh, to uh, Hudson, Dakota Hudson, and Mike List, the uncertainty of how he'll be when he comes back, hopefully 100%, hopefully like he never left. But if not, we're struggling a little bit. And so if Wayno doesn't return and he does go somewhere else, you know, who do you think gets the fourth or fifth spots in that rotation? Yeah, I, I think you'd have to look at your top three would be Flaherty, Kim, a healthy Michaelis. I'll go back to the Carlos Martinez. Well, one more time, potentially. Oh, Danny, now, you're killing me with that one. Well, let me finish. All right. I, I prefer him in the in the bullpen. I, I think he needs to reestablish velocity with a fastball, and he was getting beat up as a starter. But he is so talented, and as we're finding out, different guys react way differently with COVID. And by all accounts, he was affected pretty hard by COVID. He's going to be a motivated player in the final year of his deal. I don't care what sport you're talking about. When you're in that final year, you're motivated. I, I would think then Gomber and Daniel Ponce de Leon would be in that conversation. The wild card in this, guys, Alex Reyes. Um, Alex Reyes, to me, would be a wild card in this. That was my I horse. See, yeah, I, I would see Oviedo and Woodford uh, probably on the outside looking in, and then you have to see what exactly happens with the bullpen. I think they tell tennis is Cabrera, Ryan Helsley, John Gant prepares a starter in the off season. And we'll see where we're at once we get into spring training and who's been re-signed, who's injured, who's had a good off season. And, and one more thing about the arbitration uh, guys, I don't know. And maybe BK, you would know the answer to this. Maybe ribs you do too. But you know, when Sungwano came to St. Louis, it was a two year deal with the understanding that it was a two year major league contract. I think and then it wasn't like he was going to be looked at as a under team control for the you know the six years, and I'm not sure if that's the same thing with Kim, but he would also be a guy that maybe they look at as an extension going into the spring training too. I'm pretty sure that's how it is with him because he he's 32 years old. I think that's the tough part. I don't know. I would probably wait on him if if I were the Cardinals, but I I know that they've done stuff like this in the past, right? I mean, it, it's different, obviously, because he played in the major leagues before going overseas, but Michaelis was kind of a similar situation where they decided early to be able to lock him up long-term as well. Yeah, so it makes some sense. We'll see if they would do that with Kim, but I, I think they approach Flaherty. Dylan Carlson would be kind of a crazy one. You're asking me to think outside the yeah. box. You know, Tommy Edmond is another one. If if you like what you've seen enough of to say, hey, this is the guy going forward at, at second base or versatile to play third or the outfield. And Kim, uh, Kim would be one of those guys, too. Can I propose one to you, Dan? Oh, Danny, yeah. make sure you're in a safe spot right now. Here what comes. about Harrison Bader? So anyway, we were talking about clarity. To, uh... I'm serious, though, Dan. Um, I know people laugh about this, and I get it. He he hasn't been great at the plate, especially the last two seasons. He's had like a 215 batting average over those two years. I totally understand why there is a lack of confidence in his bat right now. However, if they decided to go up to him tomorrow and say, hey, we want some cost certainty on the books and it's going to cost us a little bit more for the upcoming year, maybe a million or two extra. But we would like to sign you to a five year deal worth 20 to 25 million dollars. 
that contract will always be something that they could trade. There are teams all across the league that even if he ends up being a fourth outfielder, they would be willing to take on a few million dollars for a guy like Harrison Bader, who at the very least plays gold glove caliber defense. It's basically the same idea behind what they did with Colton Long early in his career. Is that crazy? Because I I just watched the World Series and they had a center fielder who projects very similarly to what the Cardinals are getting out of Harrison Bader right now. Well, the only thing I would say about Bader is that as the Cardinals look to improve offensively, which is what they they have to do, he is a very good defensive player. Um, Probably should be in the conversation as a gold glove type player. But right now at the plate, I look at him as in some ways being one-dimensional. I I would want to see him play against lefties. He's always hit against lefties in the minor leagues. He has hit against lefties in the major leagues. And if we get into a situation where you start copycatting other teams, you can platoon him. And that would mean you'd have to find somebody else, you know, shifting Dylan Carlson to center on days that he doesn't play. Maybe it's somebody from the outside. But How about I like O'Neal? Him. O'Neal hits righties. Sure. And, and O'Neal maybe. Uh, you know, but my point is, is that I, I look at him as being one of those guys that when you've got a tough righty on the mound – I'm not sure I'm a, I want to pay $25 million for Harrison Bader to be coming off the bench. I, I, that's just where I'm at. All right, Danny, I got a, a bit of a two-part question here for you, and it revolves around the DH rule. Okay, so as it sits right now, we're not sure if the DH will be a part of the National League or not, but if it if it is, who do you have going as the Cards DH? Because I'm assuming that Matt Carpenter will have to slide in at third base now that you're, you've are you got Tommy Edmond, I would assume, as a lock at second base. So who becomes your DH in that situation? Well, I don't consider Edmond a lock just yet. I, I really don't. Um, and like you said, tell me there's a DH, and I'll tell you, you know, what I would do with my roster. I do think that's coming. I, I don't think there's going to be – any doubt that we're going to see the designated hitter in the national league next year. And that may come at the price of adding another round of, of playoff money, another round of playoff series to add to the collective pie of postseason play. So you give up one, that's the DH, you get another, you get expanded playoffs and we move forward. So I do think that that is going to happen. Um, you know, there are some names out there that I think do intrigue me. Um, and the one thing I would go with with this is that you have flexibility with Tommy Edmond. So Tommy Edmond could play third base if you wanted. Currently constructed, Carpenter's probably your DH, but this will not be the team, at least in my opinion, going into 2021. It can't be if you look to improve your offense. Dan, because who, this is the same cast of characters. Who are those guys that you like? Maybe some under-the-radar free agents? Because we all know. I mean, they've signaled this pretty clearly. They're not looking to spend big-time money this offseason. They want to at least have the books be somewhat cleared relative to what they were a year ago. So if if Cardinals fans listening right now are trying to get realistic about things, who are some under-the-radar free agents that you would like to see here? Well, I think you got to look at second base and third base because gone. Now Max Rock is a member of the Cubs. Uh, Miller, you don't know if you're going to bring him back. And Wong, gone. So Tommy LaStella is an interesting guy. He can play third base. He can play second. He can hit. Now you would sacrifice a little bit defensively, which you're going to do anyway. Anybody that comes in to play second base is going to be below Wong. He would be one that would intrigue me. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, he's a switch hitter. He would intrigue me. Jonathan Villar had a terrible year last year, but he's a career 727 OPS. That would intrigue me. Um, at shortstop, you know, if you're looking at getting really creative and moving DeYoung, which I, I don't think DeYoung gets enough credit for how well he plays defensively at short, 
There's obviously Marcus Simeon. There's Didi Gregorius. Those guys would intrigue me. I want to see a, a more of a Mundo Sosa. I think he can help this team, and you already got him under your control. And if you want to get crazy and and throw a name out there and catch lightning in a bottle and say, this is guys, this is just a free agent that we're going to bring in on a low-end deal. They have to re- reestablish themselves. Uanus Espedis and, and Puig. You know, I mean, those are a couple of guys that are out there that you say, what, we're just going to take a wild flyer, flyer on Dan. these guys and see if they can do it. Dan. Yeah, Puig, baby. Dan, you know better than that with this team. What do you mean? I love the idea, but you know this team isn't signing Yasiel Puig or Jonas Cespedes. Hey, you, you said to think outside the box. <laughs> I would love to see outside it. The box. I love it, Danny. Hey, they, they'd well, be fun. They, they would be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. I just... Have a, here's the thing. You're going to have a lot of guys on one-year deals. And come in early December, you're going to get a whole new batch of guys because they're not going to go to arbitration and they're become free agents. If you're looking at taking a flyer on somebody and not having to cost you a ton of money, you say, here you go. You know, why not? Have some fun with it. Go with one-year deals with some of these guys and, and let it rip. You've got my attention, Danny Mac. That's for damn sure. He's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. Hear him each and every weekday from 10 to 11 o'clock on Scoops with Danny Mac. Also catch him on Twitter at Danny Mac TV. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. You bring the heat each and every week. Uh, we look forward to talking with you again next week. You told me, think outside the box, take some flyers, so I took some flyers. <laughs> hey, you, you I absolutely like it, did. You brought it today, Don't let Dan. BK get to you. I love it. I'm not saying that all this stuff is going to happen. So don't go on my Twitter feed and go, you're an idiot. I already know that. Oh, dang, too Dude, late. They're going to do that you anyways. You know. To, you told me to come with outside-the-box thinking, so I'm going outside the box. I love it. You're the best, man. Always appreciate it. All right, guys. See you tomorrow. You got it. That is Danny Mack joining us here on 101 ESPN. All right. They're not going to sign Yasiel Puig. What? They're not going to do it. I want them to so bad. He makes so much sense. So much sense for this team. Imagine him as a DH. It'd be perfect. It would be absolutely perfect. It'd be a little competition for Tyler O'Neill in the weight room. You know what else it does? It's fun, man. It's fun. This team needs more fun. I have need been, somebody to fight. I have been saying a long time that the Cardinals are missing a guy who will lick his bat before he goes up to the plate. What's wrong with that? In the middle of a pandemic, it'd be Just perfect. Don't lick anybody else's bat. <laughs> He's Jamie Rivers, proven that's rule Alex in baseball. I'm Brandon Kylie. Proven back. rule in life, frankly. Let's back. dive into the junk drawer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So Jamie Rivers came in today. And he said, "Listen." I don't have a whole lot to offer the show. Whoa. Says that an awful I've lot I've never too. actually said that. Says but I do <laughs> have something that I want to get to in the junk drawer. So, Jamie, would you please start us off today? Yes, I would like to. So, first of all, disclaimer on this one. I'm ordinarily not a Skip Bayless fan. In fact, most of the time, I'm like, what an mm. idiot. You're not a big fan of Stephen A. BK? You wear Stephen A. and Skip Bayless shirts. Okay, shh, they can't see that. Oh, though, sorry. Okay? Radio. Play Skip along BK-less? The what? Skip BKless. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the one thing I brought up earlier is that Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, uh, every time that they lose, it's like Tom Brady's fault. Every time they win, it's not Tom Brady's doing. 
And Bruce Arians is kind of getting on my nerves with this whole act that he does. And so Skip Bayless on his show, first of all, I think Shannon Sharp, right? Mm-hmm. He he refers to him as a B.A. B.A. Bruce Arians. Well, Skip Bayless wasn't having it and had more to say on this as well. Who the hell is B.A.? You know who he who is. Who the hell is he? Hold on, Skip. What is he? Well, what has he done to deserve Skip. any Skip. credit or blame Skip. either way, to tell you the truth? But here's the- He's along for the greatest ride of his life. He should drop to his knees every night and thank God that at age 68, Tom Brady fell out of heaven into his lap in Tampa Bay. Hold on, Skip. Skip. Hold, hold on, Skip. Well, he's right, too. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. Are Skip Bayless has never been right in his How career. Many people, listen, hang on for a second. How many people even knew who Bruce Arians was that aren't in the NFL? Sir? Your casual coach fit. of the year like He went to the ago. Super Bowl with the Cardinals. <laughs> Guys, I don't care. How many people actually knew who Bruce Arians was before Tom Brady? I'm not talking about football people. Think about it. Like, my wife knows who my Bruce wife. Arians is now because, go, Tom Brady plays there. That's true. His cure rating has certainly gone up and the hats have now become a national sensation i get it um that I'm being said shtick with tom brady let the guy play nice save dump button set wasn't him loaded. up with some plays that work oh well, then play better yeah if you, you don't, don't like it play better has been playing pretty darn Throw good with the mike Evans every once in a while what was brady? the excuse for every other guy he's had in the last handful of years just trash can't, all, all of them oh, suck did you see Jameis winston last year yeah he 30 touchdowns 30, man, 30, 30. interceptions Hey, 30 touchdowns. Bruce Arians, 30 interceptions. 100% completion rate. When's the last time Tom Brady had interceptions like this? Last week. Never. Well, then maybe Tom Brady should play a little better. Never. I think he ended his uh, last game against uh, or with the Patriots with a pick six. I do remember that. You have one choice. You take Bruce Arians or Tom Brady. Bruce Arians. That's a lie. Tom Brady right now? Yeah, I don't care. I'll I'll take Brady. Yeah. I'll take Brady. Thank you. Moving on. Hold on, Skip. (laughs) Moving on. Who is B.A. anyways? I I got one, too, because this one was incredible. So we all love the big rig here in St. Louis, right? The hometown hero, Mr. Back to Back. So there's a uh, a podcast out there, Bar Down Podcast. There's a lot of hockey podcasts. Mm -hmm. And they just released an episode yesterday from a bartender named Stefan at Hotel X, which was, of course, in Toronto during the bubble. And he gave the incredible story that Pat Maroon and Alex Ovechkin had an ongoing competition in the bubble of who was the heaviest player. They had a way off in the bar. They weighed themselves because they had a go a back and forth of who was the heaviest player. Because, look, people automatically assume the big rig is, you know, sometimes people think he's heavier than he actually yeah, everybody is. Everybody chirps him for being fat. Yeah, and so he was like calling out Ovechkin saying, Bull, guess what? Let's get a scale. I bet you weigh more than I oh, do. he's heavier than me. He's, so who won? I believe Alex Ovechkin, Alex Ovechkin weighed more. Really? Yeah. Yes. And this was all from a story from a bartender in a in the hotel bar in Tampa. In Toronto. In Tor- oh, I'm sorry, in Toronto, yeah. yes. What do you think Pat Maroon weighs? I would say... He's listed at 225, which is say, nonsense. No, I would say... 240. Yeah, I would say it's Alex it's, Ovechkin's border in 260. I think Ovechkin's got to be like at really? least 255. Like 100%. The dude is a tank. 100%. His lower body, like, look, you got to look at guys like back when they played 
in his prime, like Keith Kachuk, in his prime, you'd look at him, you're like, okay, he's like a 210, 215. No, he was like 245. But Kachuk was taller. Ovechkin and Maroon are shorter than yeah, what Kachuk like, was. But my point is, is, Kachuk's legs are also like oak yeah. trees, and so are Ovechkin's. Yeah. His bottom half, his ass, his legs, all this yeah. is like all this it's big true. muscle, and he carries the weight there. Watch how Ovechkin plays. Ovechkin uses his ass more than anything in terms of bumping guys off of them. Uses in other areas too. I don't even know where to go now. <laughs> That's Jamie Rivers. He's <laughs> Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. What we'll do is we'll go straight to break. The Dodgers might pick Francisco Lindor over Corey Seager long term. It could mean a nice short term benefit to the Cardinals. I'll tell you how coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers, that's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So the Dodgers might pick Francisco Lindor long-term over Corey Seager. That's according to Andy McCullough of The Athletic, who covered the Dodgers, now covers baseball nationally for The Athletic. Here's what he wrote on the Dodgers' current situation with Seager. He says Seager will turn 27 in April. He's the reigning World Series MVP. He deserves MVP considerations for his last regular season. He's a two-time All-Star before injuries to his back, elbow, and hip hampered him in 2018 and 19. He's a homegrown Dodger. He should be a lifelong Dodger, right? I'm not so sure. This is not to argue that a long-term extension with him would be a bad idea, but the team still has shortstop Gavin Lux, one of baseball's brightest prospects before a lost season in 2020, and it's possible that Friedman might prefer a long-term pact with Lindor or Story or Correa over Corey Seager, end quote. Again, that comes from Andy McCullough of The Athletic. So basically what he's saying there is, Don't think that it is a guarantee that Corey Seager is signed long term. He's also adding that they might be in the mix for some of these guys if they're available via trade, specifically talking about Francisco Lindor here. Jamie Ferrario, if the Dodgers were to go that route, first of all, that sucks. And everybody else in baseball should just stop trying for next year because you aren't (laughs) beating that team. Second of all, it could mean that another player becomes available. Because if the if the Dodgers were to go get Lindor, you would slide Seager over to third. You have Lindor at shortstop. And then there is no reason for them to bring back Justin Turner for next year. We haven't talked a whole lot about him because I just assume that the Dodgers are going to bring him back on a one-year deal because he's been great there and he seems to love it. If he becomes available, guys, that would be my number one quote-unquote under-the-radar free agent for the Cardinals to be able to go get. He's a third baseman, so he fills a need for you right now. He's going to be a one-year deal almost certainly, and that dude can flat-out hit. He's a career 300 hitter basically since he turned things around with the Dodgers. He's going to hit 20, 25 homers. He could be a legitimate middle-of-the-order presence for you if they decide to go this route with Lindor. I think that the guy that the Cardinals should turn their attention to would be Justin Turner, in my opinion. You know what he can also do? Bring COVID to an entire baseball team. Make really dumb decisions. With a World Series trophy. He brought them both. I guess if that matters to you. I mean, I guess. Um, yeah, we. I think we loosely touched on this a while back because I think we all thought, well, he's just going to stay with the Dodgers. Right. Like, why would the Dodgers move on from him right now? Specifically right now. But, yeah, if they go get Lindor, first of all, like you said, that's just unfair. It's not nice. I don't like what they're doing. Um, but if Justin Turner is available, I don't know what the price tag is on a player like that. 
I don't either. That's the thing, because he's like, going to be 36. Stock, and he's a World stock, Series champion. Well, that's what I'm saying. Did his stock go up now? Because like, I think season. he was at a reasonable price going into this season. I don't know what it was. But it's like a two-year, $25 million deal or something yeah, like that. I, I thought, thought it was like 12, 13 million, but you're not, I don't think you're going to get that again. Now it's a pandemic world and it's a pandemic off season. So maybe that drops to nine or 10. I was about to say, maybe it's between eight and $10 million. If that's what the asking price is, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Well, I'm all in. The I'm other thing is that. he would provide a little bit of, he'd be this bridge between where you're at currently at the position where you don't have a whole lot of options and where you want to eventually be, right? Because they have other third base prospects. Montero, they still believe is going to be a really good player and he might not be too far away. He might even be one year away from the big leagues. And then we always get back to the conversation of Nolan Gorman. And that's the hope in the future. That's that's the great hope for the Cardinals of having a real, I mean, becoming eventually, hopefully, Justin Turner type of a player. And he's probably at best two years away, I would think. So maybe Justin Turner can be the bridge for you to get to Montero. And then Montero, you find out for a year or so what he's giving you. And then if he's not working as expected, maybe at that point you go over to Gorman. So I think he makes a ton of sense for this team. See, I'm on the side of where Danny Mack is. Like, I don't I'm not sold to Tommy Edmonds, your second baseman yet. I I think you could really scenario. I am. I I, I mean, (laughs) I mean, yeah, but I think there are. Look, I, I get it. Justin Turner has been an incredible player, but I just don't know if he's the person that they're looking for where there are other cheaper guys out there that have had seasons much like Justin Turner provides. Yeah, like who at third Jonathan base? Jonathan VR is a guy who, like Danny Mack said, he's a 773 OPS guy in his career. Or I believe it was last season before this he's one. cheaper? He, oh, much cheaper because yeah. he's a guy that's kind of flies under the radar. Yeah, but Justin Turner, like basically since he got to the Dodgers, is a 900 OPS guy. Okay, but aren't we talking about the same thing that we talked about with Marcelo Zuna? Like he's been an incredible player, yes, but has he been that good because he's been protected by so many other solid bats around him? Maybe. Maybe that has something to do with it, but he started this in 2014. The Dodgers in 2014 weren't the same team that they are yeah. today. He didn't have How Bellinger he and Seager. He's fine. He's, he's not going to be great for you. He's he, Carpenter. He's fine. Okay, but his bat is obviously it, a lot His there. bat is what you're getting him for and he is I mean he's remember when Tommy Pham was here and he had that 300 400 500 season where he hit 300 with a 400 on base and a slug 500 that's basically what just Justin Turner is every single season if you're talking about a guy like this we're he's not the same level as Paul Goldschmidt but he's He'd be like a 1B behind Paul Goldschmidt in terms of the best hitters in your lineup. You drop him in. Maybe Dylan Carlson continues to make contact the way he finished out. You have Paul Goldschmidt. You have Paul DeYoung. Now, not so much pressure on him. Things do look different. I just don't like the idea of it. I just don't like the idea of him meshing with this clubhouse. And I'm not going from a fan's perspective because, yes, that bat would be awesome. love him, man. Well, until he brought COVID. I, I get yeah, it. But, but you got to get over that right now. You got to get over that because it's a unique situation. It's a one-off. That's like saying he's you're painting him for his whole life. He's been this guy who makes bad decisions. Yeah. I, I don't I, know if that's true. I don't know enough about him. Did he make a mistake in the moment? Yeah, absolutely. But his teammates at the same time encouraged him to come out. His manager was okay sitting beside him. And that's my bigger takeaway from it. Yes, he. I, I believe he made a mistake in that moment. I think he did something that was like, kind of reprehensible and clearly wrong, right? That being said, his teammates embraced him 
in that moment. And so as much as I disagree with what he decided to do, his teammates wanting him to be out there with them tells you a little bit about how they feel about him as a player and as a person inside of that clubhouse. They all love this guy. And the only reason why they would let him walk, I still am not certain that they're going to. I think they're going to try to bring him back, but we're going down this path of they trade for Francisco Lindor. That would be the only reason they let him walk because Francisco Lindor is amazing. And so if this guy does eventually hit the market because of that, well, that's the exact type of player that if I'm the Cardinals, I would want to be getting in on. Now, you'd have to budget, uh, of course, for more laundry detergent, maybe some more uniforms because there's a heavy use of pine tar. (laughs) And I did notice that uh, he creates a big black mark on the back of his uniform. That's got to be hell for the trainers to get that out. So if I take that in consideration, guys, here's another thing. Um, We've talked so much about the money side of things, right? If I told you that it is Justin Turner or Yadier Molina going into next season, which one would you want on the Cardinals? I'm telling you right now, because it's it's essentially one for one money wise, right? If they're going to bring back Yadier Molina. You're assuming it'll be somewhere around the $10 million range. So for that, if I told you, you got to choose a versus B Turner versus Yadi, which side of that would you come down on right now? Yadi, And it doesn't even take consideration for me. Uh, it takes some for me. It does. It takes some for me just because you've got an answer at catcher. Yeah, we might well, not love it, but Andrew Kisner, if they unanswered. truly do believe in him, but we have an answer at an third base too. If that's the answer, right? We have Matt Carpenter. We have an answer with hope at catcher. Let me put it that way. <laughs> you, have a, you have an answer with hope at third. You know what, uh, Coach Matt Carpenter? You hope he does what he did two years ago. Hey, you know okay. what uh, Coach Drink said about hope, right? Take, take it out, it out of, of our vocabulary. I think I would. Try, I think I would go with Turner. If we're going from a purely baseball perspective and we're looking at how can the Cardinals win the NL Central next year and make their team as good as possible, I think the answer is Turner. Now, if you're going the other route, I totally understand it, and that's more nostalgia, and it is heart, and it's the belief that Yachty should never play anywhere but St. Louis. And frankly, I believe that you should be able to sign both of them if that is the case. But Mm -hmm. if we have to choose one for one from a pure baseball perspective, I'd, I'd go I'd go with this. I'm going Yachty. The more I think about it, because I'm just looking at it going, you know what? You got Yachty for a year or two. And yeah, you may not address that bat that you need right now. But again, we've all targeted next offseason as one to make a splash. I think Yachty's more important overall. Who would you rather bridge the gap? Justin Turner to a Nolan Gorman where he's not going to have any effect on him or Yadier Molina bridging the gap to Ivan Herrera who's going to have a major effect on his game. You could have a very similar Yadier Molina for the next 10 to 12 years if you let Yadi work with Ivan Herrera. When is he working with him though? Spring training and you would imagine that second year he's going to be getting some type of shot at the major league level. A totally fair point. Totally fair point. And that's something that they would absolutely have to take into consideration. I mean, it, it it's not an easy decision, and I wish that they didn't have to make it. I wish it could. I yeah. wish it didn't have to be one for one, you know, with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line for are we sure? Are we sure that the Mets aren't about to become one of the best teams in the National League? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Are We Sure? Guys, I was listening to Steve Cohen's 
first public appearance as the owner of the New York Mets yesterday. And Ferrario, if we have this audio, I'd love to play it for the audience because he was asked, hey, what are the expectations for you for this team? What are the realistic expectations that fans should have? Here's what he had to say in response to that. Only one team wins the World Series every year, right? So that's a pretty high bar. But if I don't win a World Series in the next three to five years, you know, I'd like to make it sooner. Then, then, you know, obviously, you know, I would consider that slightly disappointing. Are we sure the Mets aren't about to become the Dodgers of the NL East, Jamie? Uh, they are absolutely going to become that. We talked about it yesterday. This guy doesn't care. And, and I don't mean, I, let me rephrase it. He doesn't care what people think. He cares tremendously about bringing a winning team to the New York area in the form of the Mets. So he has the resources. He's absolutely cleaned house over there. From top to bottom, he's cleaned house, and whatever direction they go in, it's going to be one that's you know orchestrated by what he thinks the Mets should be. And based on what he's saying, wanting to win a World Series in three to five years, he's like, well, hopefully sooner. Yeah, yeah. The Dodgers, hey, guess what? You have new competition, and it's on the other side of the country. Did you guys see what he did today? So Marcus Stroman accepted the qualifying offer of $18.9 million. Mm-hmm. Stroman tweeted out saying, you know, I love what this guy is saying. I'm happy to be a part of the Mets organization. Steve Cohen tweeted back to him and said, thank you for accepting this offer. I look forward to meeting you. I'll be calling you in the next couple of days. Players are going to go to oh, the Mets. Yeah. One, Jeez. because it's New York, but two, because of ownership. Like, 100%. If your owner cares that much to tweet to your players, which is exactly what he's doing, he's trying to by that market he's of, been tweeting to fans guys mm-hmm. over the last couple he's of weeks it. since he's like kind of started this transition he's because it's to your point for Ario, it's not just the players that he's tweeting at he's responding to fans that are asking him questions he's on done the smartest thing any owner in major league baseball can do because now everyone wants to be a part of the mets organization players fans people love the yep. mets we're talking about it we're in st louis and they're literally their competition for yep. us in the national so league Lindor, brian Freeman, they're you all going to go to the Mets. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You want to bridge the gap between ownership and players. You want to bridge the gap between owners and fans. This is how you do it. Yep. Jamie, how, how important hate the guy? is that? Because you, you played in the league, oh so God. you've seen it from the inside. I can speak on it from the outside looking in. Same thing for you, Ferrario. We, we aren't in the buildings. We don't see what the difference is between the good versus the bad owners. Mm-hmm. How big is that internally? You've seen it from both sides. You've seen bad ownership and great ownership. Yeah, it's really important, guys. Like, you know, when I was with the Red Wings, like yeah. Mr. Illich, like it was crazy. He was accessible. He came down and talked to the guys before the season started. Guys who weren't playing injured, or even if you were a healthy scratch, you go up to sit with him in his suite with his family, and he just looked after everything. Your family at the rink was totally taken care of. You could have your kids being babysat while the game's going on so your wife could watch the game and enjoy herself at the same time. Like, there was nothing that was left not done for the players and their families. And, you know, I had some ownerships that, yeah, they were awful. I was at New York Islanders. I don't even know who owned the damn team. You know, like we were we were only allowed to use like four sticks a month. And it was crazy. And so, again, you know, yeah, it's important. Look what it's done here for the Blues. Yeah. Honestly, if, if I'm going even for the Cardinals to have good ownership 
It, it goes a long way, man. And Bobby Plager tells the story all the time about the Solomons. And I remember because when they did the 50th anniversary, I talked with them a lot. But Bobby tells so much about how the Solomons started the trend of people wanting to come to St. Louis. Nobody knew hockey in St. Louis, but the Solomons would buy planes for the players. He would make sure that they had everything taken care of for him because he cared that much about the players and the fan base. So when you start that tradition, people flock. Are we sure that the Yankees are the New York team that we need to worry about with Yachty? Oh, I, wow. I think you need to worry about Wayno too. Oh, BK, look at you go. Crayon eating fool. Did you hear what Steve Cohen said? <laughs> he said, well, one thing we need right now is defense at the catching position and oh pitching God. depth. Oh, no, boy. no. Yeah. So oh, much for that. No. Yeah, Brian Walton was talking to Danny Mack about it today, and he oh, said, Cohen oh. said two things about looking towards next season. Defense from the catcher position and depth at pitching. And probably leadership in a clubhouse that he wants a team to head in the right direction. Bingo. I mean, oh, I'm just saying. Yeah, it's over. On. It's over. So they're going to end up with Yadi, Wayno, and Francisco Lindor. That's yep. what's going to happen here, huh? Probably and Chris Bryant. Turner's going to be back in, in probably L.A. Probably Trevor Bauer. Yeah, probably Trevor Bauer. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that rotation? Marcus Stroman. Uh. Jacob DeGrom, Trevor Bauer, and then Syndergaard when he comes back. Well, he's got Tommy John right now, but he'll be back. Yeah, I can imagine it. It must be fun. Must be fun to imagine. So what do the Cardinals do? Well, um, Tommy Lestella. Jonathan VR is out there, I think. Austin Dean is probably an easy, easy contract to get done right now. Millsy? Millsy's around. Wheaties? Wheaties will be here. Millsy still got his uniform hanging up. He, he's positive he's about probably still this. wearing it. He might be. Those socks are we got fantastic. the We got the Nog father. Do, do, do we? Is he still I don't around? even know. Well, he might go to the Cubs I mean, sooner or later. I think if we call him, he'll come back. <laughs> I think you've got a good point there. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Are We Sure? All right, guys. Are we sure that the Cardinals are going to be able to make up on offense what they are losing right now in defense? The reason why I ask this is because I was looking at Ben right? Fred's. See, it's hard to follow. Make I up was, on offense what they're losing. You've got to finish it with like, like the sliding scale. I'm explaining it right now. Okay. What the f***? <laughs> exactly. I was reading Ben Fred's uh, questions and answers that he did on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch's website. And somebody asked him on there, the Cardinals have a below average offense, but they'll call themselves a run prevention team. They just let a gold glove second baseman walk. Does that mean that improving their offense to just being average might actually not result in an improvement at all? So are we sure that the Cardinals are going to be able to make up offensively what they are losing defensively by letting Colton Wong and Yadier Molina walk, Jamie? Yeah, no, we're not sure because I think it would take a lot more to slide that scale to the other direction to where all of a sudden you're an offensive team, right? Like you're a, a, a big threat at the plate. You're going to have to do a lot more than just replace one guy. You're going to have to make a splash and get like two or three to swing that pendulum to the other side, and they're not going to do that. I'm not going to be able to accomplish that, in my opinion. So, yeah, so where are they right now? They're a tweener. They're stuck in between offense and defense, and they're not sure, which means to me, like, that's a tough point to be. You either have to be great defensively or have slugging percentage out the ears, and they're not either and of those. ideally both. But and they know, lost a gold glove catcher in Yachty. Well, they didn't lose him yet. Well, okay. <laughs> we just said he's going to the Mets. We confirmation. Steve Cohen just texted me. He said, when, hey, be quiet. When you, when, when you look at it, though, like the, the, the outfield defense is the same, if not better, if you're putting Dylan Carlson in there on a daily appearance. If you put Tommy Edmond at second base, if he's playing at second base, 
You're losing a little bit, but I don't know is if you're losing Glover? that much. Is he a gold I think Glover? you're losing a lot. I don't think you are, though. But I, is he a gold Glover? We don't know. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, like, Colton Wong, was it two gold gloves? Colton Wong's one of the better second basemen that I've watched. I agree. Since I've watched baseball. And then but you got third base, now still think, sitting there as a but whole. But I don't think Tommy Edmond's going to be coming in there and giving up 12 errors in a season. I don't know. Tommy Edmond was not impressive defensively oh, last year. He had a stretch where he was not impressive. He made some really solid plays at third base as well. His problem is the routine play. And that's that's where I I never had a question of whether or not Colton Long was going to make the routine play. He, he almost always did. And then he was also going to make the spectacular play, right? Especially with the double plays that you brought up earlier. I, just, I, I worry a little bit about Edmonds' defense, but that's more at third base. So it's possible he's fine at second. We just we haven't yeah. really seen it. I think Yachty's going to be the biggest effect if you lose it. I look at it this way, guys. This is the way I look at it. You lost Colton Wong, and Tommy Edmond at third is better than Matt Carpenter at third, but now he's no longer at third, and you've lost Yachty. As of right now, you've lost Yachty. So that's three defensive guys. Now, Tommy Edmond will slide over to second, but he's not Colton Wong. So the scale would have to slide tremendously the other way to make up the difference to yeah. your question. And you're not going to because what projection of Tommy Edmond with 12 home runs, that's maybe like three more home runs than what Colton Wong would hit for you in a projected season. More playing time for Dylan Carlson might give you some more offense, but you're dipping on offense, losing Yachty or Molina. We don't know what Kisner is, so I don't, I don't see how that makes sense. Yeah, I'm with you guys. They'd have to... I think they would have to do something that there's no reason to believe that they're going to do. Like they'd have to improve at third base by signing somebody. Maybe it's Lestella, these guys that we've been talking Trading about. for Arenado. Sure. Or they go Justin Turner at third inside Nelson Cruz at DH. Absolutely. Now all of a sudden, boom, it swing the other way. And, and the geriatric they, team there. Oh, boy, but, that would yeah, be but fun. Then but listen to me for a second. It's not stupid. Because then... <laughs> Why are you getting angry? No, because <laughs> you talk about geriatric team. Yes, good. Now they're out the door in a year or two. Hey, you moved on to your next guys up. I have no problem with, with aged veterans. I love guys like that, man. In, in all seriousness, Nelson Cruz and Justin Turner completely changes my view of this team going into Nelson next year. Nelson Cruz puts 35 home runs on your your team. Obviously, that makes you better. That Say, makes and the most short sense. Term. It's short term, too. So Both you have other players. Deal, probably. Nelson Cruz is the Carlos Beltran. Like yeah. That's the signing. Now, he's not going to be the defensive player, but it doesn't matter because he's the DH for you. Now you got me excited again. Justin okay. Turner, Nelson we go, Cruz, baby. we're going right. to sign both of them? They're both I, coming to St. Louis? I'm in. I'll write the check. One year, Only $10 million dollars I'll to write each the check. Only if Steve Cohen's going to offer uh, Bill DeWitt a couple dollars. If you had to go one for one, them versus Yachty and Wayno. Oh, i take that. Oh, I'd take them in a heartbeat. Heartbeat. Yeah. That'd be fun. It'd be a lot of fun. It's fun living on Fantasy Island, isn't it? Let's ask that of Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the Blues. What's he think? You could go with the nostalgia, bring back Wayno, bring back Yachty, or, whoo, boy, you could add about 75 homers going into next year. Justin Turner and Nelson Cruz. What does Chris Kerber want to do? We'll ask him, would you rather, next on 101 ESPN. The best is yet to come. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We have an absolute treat, not via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, but in studio, Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, is joining us. Kerbs, how you doing, man? I'm, I'm good. We, we got to get some, like, microphone Viagra. Watch this thing. Yeah, we've had just, that problem quite a bit. You know? We tell Brad to keep yeah. playing just, with, but anyways, it doesn't work. BT well, okay. messes with gotcha. it a little too much. In yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't That's know. What the microphone said. doesn't work, not the Correct. Blue yes, yes, of course. Gotcha. All right, of I'm course. with you. Okay. Yes. 
So, Curbs, we wanted to bring you in on a conversation that we were just having. Now, obviously, we all know the Cardinals are unlikely to add a lot of payroll this upcoming offseason. They have made that very clear to all of us that they're unlikely to add payroll. However, there are some good players that are out there available on the market. Justin Turner is one of them, the third baseman for the Dodgers. Really, really good hitter. Nelson Cruz is like 55 years old, but he's a tremendous hitter and still can help a team if the uh, Cardinals end up getting the DH next year. If the Cardinals came to you and said, Curbs, <laughs> we are having you as an advisor to us. We would love to have your input to of be able to make this decision. Of course, attached to it for you. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time is valuable. Would yes. you, yeah. for the same amount of money on a one-year deal for either, either side, would you rather bring back Wayno and Yachty or sign Nelson Cruz and Justin Turner to improve the lineup? On Which a one-year side deal? of those? One-year deals. Of them one-year one year deals. deals? I'm staying with Wayno and Yachty. Oh. How come? Because on a one-year, I got no guarantee that those other guys are coming back. I don't know that those two guys totally transform the roster the way it is, although it does make it a bit better. But I don't know that that's the difference in you becoming that much more of a contender. And I'm at the point on this where I fully believe in the loyalty and want to see Yachty finish his career and think he should as a Cardinal, the same with Wayno. And uh, I don't think that they have a better option. Like, I mean, Adam Wainwright was your ace last year. Really was. When you needed the stop, he came in. And we all know that it's coming for Jack Flaherty, but it hasn't happened yet, right? And and Yadier Molina is still proven to be one of the best catches in the game. He was clutch with the bat. So um, if I had to take one or the other, then I'm 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 st- I'm I'm a loyal guy and I'm sticking to my guys. Okay, so then let's just go crazy here. Let's go for a two-year deal. So to, and hear me out, okay? Two years takes us down the road a little bit, and now you've got Nolan Gorman in the conversation. Where is he at? Maybe he's ready. You've got Herrera behind the plate. That you know, hopefully behind Kisner, he's made some big steps. You've moved this team two years down the road. You've got a bunch of salaries that came off the books in last year's offseason, but you've dramatically improved your offense in the short term with Turner and Cruz. So I get I get I get Turner and Cruz now on two year deals. Yes. Different story. Yeah, see that different see, story. I have a bigger wallet than BK. D- okay. Different, yeah. different story. Not then really, I would, then, I, then I'm taking then I the long term part, I'm taking it. Right? But I but but guys, I, I still don't see like uh I mean I'm, I'm, unless there's a long term option there like, like, I don't see any reason not to bring either one of these, uh, either one of those guys back. Yeah. I don't see any reason why you can't. Like, like, here's the thing. I don't think that in this case it's an either or. Those aren't the two guys you're probably looking to replace. Like, if I don't you know where else you shed salary though. Is well, the if part. you, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, they already I think bolted on Wong, right? Well, and they got rid of Matt Schrock. They've already proven that they were willing to walk away from a guy who's about to win his second Gold Glove. Right, that 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 they have some other thoughts along along the way. So uh, you still need an identity. You still need some younger players to come in and understand what's going on. Adam Wainwright is easily the guy. I, I think I think a uh, a Jack Flaherty becomes a better pitcher with another year of having Adam Wainwright on the staff. And I'm a firm believer in veteran speed up the process, and I know you've seen it in your oh, career. Yeah. So. Um, I that that's why I'm going there now. You know, I, I I still like like right now. I think people have to be patient 
from a Cardinal standpoint. First off, I totally understand well, well, them not wanting to you're expand. In St. Louis, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, no, I do. Patience? I do, because Cur- there's going to be great... <laughs> Here's the thing. Even on those one-year deals you're talking about, the economics of the sport are going to leave some really good values out there on that one-year deal. That I'm not sure you... I actually I really believe, and, and I don't I don't have names on a list right now, but I really believe at some point you're going to be able to improve your roster without having to necessarily spend a whole lot more money while you're keeping those guys. Like it's, we're we're seeing it in hockey, you're, you're seeing it in in all these sports. There, I mean, there are guys. Mike Hoffman is still available, mm-hmm. right? There, there's there's going to be value to be found when the season gets going. Curbs, we're in this every day, right? Yeah. Like we are, we are knees deep in all of this crap, right? You well, get the hypotheticals are fun. No, for sure. But yeah. the reason why I'm asking is because you're you're watching this from the outside looking in. You're a casual Cardinals fan. You watch these guys on TV. Like you, you you're in it, but you're not in it the same way that we have to be due to doing this every day. What? How excited are you about the 2021 Cardinals? Like, what is the, your interest level? Yeah, I guess in what that would be team? the draw for the fan, right? Like, if you don't have Yachty, no, oh, that's a problem. There isn't one. Okay, there. Yeah. And, and, I, and I said this. I said this when I was on with Randy. You know, and, I, and I'm dumb diehard. I, I live and breathe baseball as, as much as anybody. Uh, you, it, the thing that the Cardinals do not have right now is an identity. See, there's not, there's, there's really not somebody. Although, I, I would put, I, you can still keep, I think, Wayno and Yachty in this, all right. And I think you have to probably put Jack Flaherty in there now. Where if I'm going to a game. I'm like, Flaherty's on the mound, awesome. If I was going to a game and I knew it was Wayno on the mound, awesome. If it was Chris Carpenter on the mound, great. All right? Aside from that, and part of this is their own organizational's fault on how they've played players, I don't think you could get up on a given day and be confident that you were going to have anybody in the outfield that was in the game the day before. I know I'm a little tongue-in-cheek there, right? But <laughs> No, that's our entire show. You're not honest. That's the case, right? You know, and and then obviously you could expect Colton Wong in there, right? But that we we've been in such a, a stretch of baseball where, uh, okay, well we've got a really good guy here, you know. Oh, well, Matt Adams can really well a lefty's on the mound, so Matt Adams isn't playing. I mean, I mean, it's nameless it's, and it's faceless. It, it's almost like since Jim Edmonds, nobody's able to hit left-handed pitching. If you're a left-handed hitter in a Cardinals organization, Matt Carpenter, I know is is it has has done that, but he's drifted down now in the last few years. So, like even that. Who's your everyday third baseman? I don't know. We're moving this guy to that. Like, like we are shuffling the man, deck around all over the place. This, if you're a young, if you're a young Cardinal baseball fan, like like we were growing up in you know in the seventies, eighties, and stuff, and you're watching those teams, you're going, "Hey, I want to be like." Well, no, wait. He's a third baseman. <laughs> no, actually, he's a shortstop today. Well, now he's on the bench. Well, now we got him as a designated hitter. Holy hell, he's in the outfield. <laughs> you, you know, like you look at it like that, and so. I, one of the things that I think the Cardinals have had an issue with over the last number of years is really defining the roles of their players, right? I mean, in this sense, we saw it last year even on the hockey side with Justin Falk a little yeah. bit. Like, he came to yeah. the rink every day not knowing what his role was going to be other than getting a game, right? Uh, I believe athletes, when they have defined roles, succeed. I think it makes a huge difference. And when, it's, when you're coming to the field every day wondering if you're in the lineup or not, it's a different maker. If you don't know if you're going to be in right field or left field, you know, or you don't know if you're going to be at shortstop or third bit. Like, like Tommy Edmund comes to the field, all right? 
He's got to come to. He's got to come to the ballpark, going. Where am I today? <laughs> it's right. Brings five gloves with him. Yeah, Probably yeah. an office pool going around about yeah. where he's going to play that day. As too. decent as he's been as an offensive guy, how much better does he get as an offensive player if the only thing he's worried about is getting into the field, playing third base, and hitting? It's it, it, to me, it's a difference yeah. maker, and and I don't think that they've had too many guys with defined roles. To be honest with you, no. And actually, you brought up Justin Falk. We talked to him earlier today, mm-hmm. uh, just a little bit. He was a busy guy. He was moving TVs around. He had his hunting gear out anyways. But we did address one thing about him and being comfortable being in a main role for the Blues. And so you, who sees every game the Blues play and you're a part of it, how important will that be to make a difference for Justin Falk to be that guy who, like you just said, will be on the right side almost all the time, will get some power play time, will probably have a consistent partner as well. And I think it makes all the difference in the world. Just the same th- for the same exact reasons we just talked about on the on the baseball field, I think it's the same thing. Uh, at, Justin Falk comes in, gets traded for a guy who was really well liked in the locker room. Gets traded for a guy that helped win a Stanley Cup. Comes in before he plays a game, signs a seven year extension that immediately leads to the talk of the pressure it puts on Alex Petrangelo in that contact situation, and and then you're now playing twenty. Like he averaged twenty minutes a game. Yeah. Right. I mean, he, all over he played the place, more hockey though. than Vince Dunn, yeah. right? And, I mean, he averaged 20 minutes a game and was on the left side, the right side, top pair, middle pair, third pair, and sometimes all within the same game. You know, and I think it was it was a tough situation. I think he actually handled very well. And when I go back and I talk to Johnny Forsland or Trip Tracy and uh, or some others with the Carolina Hurricanes, like I have no, no doubt in my mind you're going to see a better one. And, and he's the kind of guy – He's not going to – he might go, yeah, it was kind of at times, I wish, but he'll never say that that was a factor. The coaches did. Yeah, he, he told us. Did. He was like, listen, I didn't play well last year. And then when we asked him yeah. about the, the situation yeah. with where he was playing, he's like, ah, no, I, I just didn't play well last year. Yeah, so typical he, leader fashion yeah, and, yes. you know, owning it. He was like, yeah, you know, it's on me. And he, he didn't go – he didn't go down the roads we do as far as excuses. And he's just like, yeah, you just got to be better. Well, and I thought Joey made a great point last Thursday, which you, you take the, the personality side away from it, but that leaks into the play of players as well. Like when Joey talked about when the team went to D.C. and everyone's at the White house and Falk's back in his hotel room like we saw it with O'Reilly and Maroon and Bozak like it took a little time to get acclimated because you're coming into a new environment and I think that's what happened with Justin Falk. I think the thing that threw everybody off of the scent was Marco Scandella coming in and fitting in the way that he did but there was a difference in the roles right they t- we yeah. talked to Scandella right after he was traded here and he said listen I talked to Barubi and he told me hey look at what Bo Meester did yeah. that's your role nothing right. more nothing less that is what you're going to be from the day that you come in and he played every game in yeah. that with Pareko if 55 came over on the, the board, left side that <laughs> guy came over the boards he was on the same side every time yep. and and Pareko is one hell of a defenseman you know, I mean, uh, for a guy that's only played five years, there's still another a lot oh, of yeah. more upside coming to him. So, to like, you know, it, it it it. I think it man, it makes a huge difference. Look, every time you talk to a cardinal, you know, like a bullpen pitcher, man, how how good were the Cardinals pitchers when they knew, like, okay, I'm I'm seventh inning, it's it's, it's go time, eighth inning, it's go time, ninth inning. It, it you can look at all of sports, and when you give these habit driven athletes who are at the highest level they could be where the only thing they have to worry about is going out and performing because they know the role they're in 
they all perform better. Chris Kerber, voice of the blues in studio with us here on 101 ESPN. All right, Kerbs, on Twitter earlier today, I know you're celebrating Veterans Day, as we all are, and you brought up a story with David Backus uh, from a few years ago. I believe Brian Elliott involved in this yep. as well. If anybody wants to see the full audio of this interview, check it out on his Twitter account, at Chris Kerber. But if you could give our audience a little bit of the backstory on what, what happened here, um, I thought it was pretty cool, and I'd lo- love to share that with some of our listeners. Blues fans will remember this story uh, back on November 11, 2014, for our Veterans Day game. Um, we honored Charles Rohde, who, who's the dad of uh, uh, one of my best friends, one of my longest friends. And um, uh, he served in World War II. He was part of the Normandy invasion. It was his uh, it was his troops uh, uh, that that took out one of the German guns. There's actually a plaque on the beach for it. I mean, it was, it's really quite a story. And Mr. Rohde uh, was willing to let us tell his story, so we did. What I put on my Twitter feed was just a small audio clip. I edited some of the audio of him just talking about, uh, and I put some pictures that I had of him just talking about uh, what Veterans Day means. Now, he died on January 11th of 2016 at 93, 94 years old. But it was really cool. Brian Elliott had done had, had made up a military mask for that game. Oh, yeah, I remember came with that. The idea. So Mr. Rohde was the one we brought him into the room and he presented Brian with the mass that Brian had done because Brian's parents are part of the military. So his wife is too, isn't he? Yes. Uh, his wife is. Yes. So his, that's what I meant. So his, his, it was really kind of a cool moment when he wheels into the room. Well, that night, the next night at the game, they, they brought him out and they were just supposed to bring him out on the carpet at the Zamboni entrance for the national anthem. David Backus, not part of the plan, skates over to the Zamboni entrance takes Mr. Rohde in the wheelchair and wheels him out to the blue line. <laughs> oh, now, to line up for... To line yeah. up for like one yeah. of the players in the National Anthem. That's cool. Okay. Well, Mr. Rohde, I think it was Charles Glenn sang the National Anthem at the time. I, I can't remember if it was him or uh, or maybe Gennaro Wilson, whoever sang the National Anthem that night. But And it was a nationally televised game. So NBC's covering this whole thing. David goes and does this. Mr. Rohde is singing the National Anthem at the blue line, right? standing in between Brian Elliott and David Backus. So then at the end, David Backus wheels him back, and the game starts. And our first period was rotten. It was awful, right? And I go, I talked to David and, and Brian afterwards. They said, Curbs, he, he sang the national anthem the whole time. He goes, it was hard to hold back the tears. The emotion we felt from him was amazing that it messed us up emotionally for the whole first period. He goes, we couldn't get our heads straight for the first period. You know, it, it was really kind of it's a cool, great but, moment, but it's the crazy. great moment and impact of it. So to all the veterans from all the different wars out there, uh, it was uh, it was a cool moment, one I'll never forget. So thank you all for uh, the freedoms you provide us. And absolutely. And uh, hopefully we continue as a country to make you proud. too. And again, you can find all of that audio at Chris Kerber on Twitter. Curbs, we always appreciate the time, man. All the best. And we look forward to talking with you again next week. Good all to right, see guys. you. Good seeing your faces. Absolutely. That's right. Chris Cheers. Kerber, voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers.
Cheers of Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Huge thanks to Chris Kerber for dropping by today. Good to see him in studio with us. Anthony Stalter replacing him now in studio. Stalter, how you doing, man? Good, guys. How we doing? Oh, we're fantastic. Okay. Absolutely fantastic. We'll ask you what we were just talking about a bit, and we know you got to get right into your show. If you had to make a decision, one for one, or I guess two for two here, if you go Nelson Cruz and Justin Turner or Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, which one are you taking? One-year deals from everybody. Oh, come on. Molina and Wainwright versus Turner and Nelson Cruz. Thanks a lot, Stoltz. What, okay, what am I doing? So I'm assuming that Kisner's going to be catcher. my catcher? Kiss daddy. All right, give me the offense. I'll go just yeah! Turner. And I'd say we about. pick up Puig, too, his insurance. Who? Yes, Puig? Puig? Is that what he called him? Yes, what is his name? Puig. It's Puig. It's Puig. Puig. Yeah. Not Puig. Puig. Not Puig. Not Puig. Stop it's, thinking it's Odell fine. Beckham Jr. At least I added the G this time. <laughs> I used to call him Puig. Well, that's not nice. So that's what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man. We're going to talk about the uh, the fact that Steve Cohen of the Mets comes out and says, you know what? We're not going to be med- mediocre. All right. Three to five years, World Series. Yeah. A lot of Cardinals fans wish they would hear that out of the uh, <laughs> the, the local franchise there. Is it, how important is it to win the press conference? We'll talk about that. We'll talk to Greg Wyshynski, the puck daddy at ESPN, about the realignment in NHL. The whiz. A lot more Cardinals, football, all kinds of fun stuff. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. If you missed any of our show today, including our rousing interview with Justin Falk, all of that can be found on <laughs> 101ESPN.com. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 the fast lane coming up next mm. you have been listening to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn the wendy's three dollar breakfast deal is here get a bacon or sausage egg and swiss croissant plus a small seasoned potatoes that's a better breakfast for just three bucks in three easy steps one wake up <sighs> two get out of bed and three head to wendy's for your three dollar breakfast deal Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's $3 breakfast deal. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hour. Select or request $3 breakfast deal in order to obtain discount. Not valid for all Carter combos or his price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii.